Welcome everyone to the first episode of our brand new podcast. I'm Tommy B, he's Tony P, and we are the Diamond Duo, bringing you all around Major League Baseball to give you a taste of what occurred in the past week, what will occur this week, and plenty more. Brought to you by two people who may or may not be qualified to to dish out some hot takes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody listening to this podcast, welcome along to the Diamond Duo pilot episode, and thank you for listening. We are thrilled to have you here. We love talking about baseball. I know I do. Again, my name is Tom Bauer. He's Tony Puglisi. He'll introduce himself in a minute, um, but it's just something we... this. Wow, I suck at this. We're gonna. Have, I'm going to have to edit that part out, but um, <laughs> yeah, we're already off to a good start, Tony. I'm already f***ing up the intro in... <laughs> shit like that like oh. if you can tell already this is going to go swimmingly this is the first take by the way i'm hoping not to do multiple takes i'm rambling on and on i really should have wrote down what i was going to say tony but how about you just introduce <laughs> yourself how that's, you doing man that's probably a great idea don't worry i probably should have wrote it down too i was trying to think of a way to shoehorn in my intro as you were making yours and i just couldn't trust me i would have crashed and burned as well uh but no Truth line, honestly, thank you so much for listening. We're so excited that uh, we've got folks who like to listen to us ramble about baseball because if if you know either one of us, a lot of what comprises our character is us ranting about baseball, ranting about the teams that we love, the teams that we hate, the teams that we have no affiliations with. That's got to be fun. But the fact that you want to listen to us warms our hearts, I suppose you could say that to some extent. And with that warmed heart, we're going to use it to flame every single team in the ML, uh, excuse me, in MLB. Uh, this fine afternoon, wouldn't you say, Tom? Absolutely so. By the way, we are recording this on September 6th, a Monday, around noon. So if anything happens that's outdated from what we say, sorry about that, but sorry, not sorry, really. It, that's a, it's not that's a you fault. problem. Exactly. Not our not our problem. I don't even know when this is going to release. Hopefully it'll release the night of September 6th, maybe Tuesday morning, September 7th. I really don't know. But before we actually get into dishing our hot takes and giving zero f**ks and being down to earth about baseball, what qualifies us to talk shit about the Orioles, Tony? Like, what do you think our qualifications are? Well, Tom, to be honest, I think if you're a human being with a pulse on the planet Earth, you have every right to dish the Orioles. Uh, excuse me, diss the Orioles. How do we both f- that up in this intro? We say diss instead of dish. But nevertheless, Tom, you and I are no stranger to... Getting in front of a microphone, putting some headphones on our ears, and rant, uh, riffing about baseball for an hour or so. We both did this in college. We both love doing this in college. And Damn right. we're both no longer in college. And we both kind of figured to each other, hey, why don't we just do this, but not in college? And that's how we got here. And now we are ready to dish out the punishment, not this. Ah! <laughs> uh- <laughs> Brought it home. Uh, there we go. I'll throw I'll throw in a laugh track for that, Tony. But um, <laughs> well, maybe I won't. I'm probably too lazy to edit it in. I, I'll but do it. Don't what, worry. What Tony's alluding to, we just graduated from Hofstra University not too long ago in May of 2021. He was talking about we're used to hopping in front of the mic. Well, we were at the radio station at Hofstra for a while. Um, That would be um, WRHU, the three-time Marconi award-winning station for best non-commercial station of the year. Shameless plug of our credentials we were on a show called the batter's box there that was the mlb show there i had to censor myself a lot and a lot of self-containment i think for the both of us and trying to 
discuss the many things that go on in Major League Baseball. But, I mean, the idea originated actually from Tony. Um, we were going to a party after somebody's last show on the airwaves, and Tony's like, hey, you know what? Let's just start a podcast. F*** it. Why not? Like, I think we may have had some drinks in our system, too, at the point. I'm not, I don't recall that so easily, Tony, but do you? I, I'll be a Tom, I was the one with more alcohol swishing through me than you. Now, true disclaimer, I'm not an alcoholic, but that was probably the best idea I've had with alcohol swishing through me. Let's be honest here, Tom. So, no, I very, I very clearly remember that. It was a conversation we both kind of said, you know what, wait, why don't we? Like, we love doing this crap on Batter's Box, and like you said, we had to forcefully censor ourselves in order to get our product on the radio you know this time last year or shit, this time a few months ago now we don't have to worry about a fucking thing exactly I, I exactly say, i think that's the reason we decided to do this to begin with i i yeah, just you know remember I can... in, in may you holding back the word fucking shit so many times talking about the yankees having like the worst ops team ops in baseball yeah, well, I like to think they turned a new leaf, but in actuality, this past weekend, they didn't. We'll talk about them later. Oh, by the way, let's just get this out of the way, Tony, before we get into our first segment. Yeah. We're going, we're from the tri-state area. I'm from New Jersey. He's from Long Island. Our favorite team is the Yankees. We're going to try and be as unbiased as possible when we talk about them and when we talk about teams in baseball. That is our objective, but if there is any bias, I mean, we'll probably give a warning about it. Um, quite honestly, but if there is any bias, just know that's why. Um, just felt like we need to get that out there. I think that's what they taught us to do in colleges, get rid of your biases or whatever the f***. But at any rate, let's get into our opening segment. It is called Around the Horn, and this is going to be a focus where we get in a little bit of every single team around the MLB in each week. So if you're a fan of the Colorado Rockies for some reason, hey, we're going to at least be talking about the Rockies for 30 seconds during the show. It'll happen at the beginning of the show every time. Normally, what we plan on doing is going in a random order of teams each week. I'll take three, Tony will take three, and then we go back and forth through all 30 teams in baseball, give you a breakdown of what happens in their past week, any notable stories or storylines. Stories and storylines, that's the same exact word, stupid Tom. Um, but any rate, Tony, you're leading it off with Around the Horn this week. Let's get into it. Let's do this. All right. So right now, Tom, we're going to start with the greatest team in baseball, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And by greatest team in baseball, I mean the greatest excuse for a major league franchise because, my goodness, they're still not good. They won one game total last week. They showed some signs of life, I will say, in some potential comebacks. Pretty much all of them fell through. At this point, Arizona's just competing with Baltimore for the number one overall pick. Wash of a season, probably wash of next season too. But hey, congratulations out there to Henry Ramos, a minor leaguer who recorded his first major league hit last night after to uh, toiling in the minors for 11 years. That must have felt good. Congratulations, Henry Ramos. All right, next team. I should probably be timing this because we said 30 seconds, but I'm pretty sure that was under 30 seconds. Anywho, next team, Atlanta Braves. Let's get this going. Not the best of weeks for them. They split a four-game stretch in Colorado, which they probably should have won, and they suffered a sweep at the hands of the Dodgers, and it allowed the Mets and Phillies to crawl back in that NL East race. Now they're both nipping at their heels, and that's something we'll get into later when we talk about the division races. However, there are some bright spots for the Braves. In particular, their offense is still clicking, and their infield reached a milestone that we'll actually talk about later, Tom. I think you're going to enjoy when we talk about that. All right. Next team up, uh, last one for me for the time being, will be 
another great team, the Baltimore Orioles. And if you don't know, the Baltimore Orioles are a terrible baseball team until they get the chance to play the 2021 New York Yankees, in which they turn into a machine that frontlines clutch hitting and lockdown pitching. All that to say they won a series against the Yankees for the first time since 2019, even though they were uh, brushed aside by the Blue Jays and the Rays before that. Um, they still beat the Yankees. They beat them pretty soundly. There's not much else to watch on that team, aside from Cedric Mullins, who, cough, cough, should get MVP votes. First 25-25 player on the Orioles since Reggie Jackson. If he doesn't get MVP votes, it's a crime. All right, went a little over with that one, but my three are done. Tom, why don't you take the baton and tell us all about your first team? Thank you, Tony. So the first team up is the team currently sitting second in the AL wildcard race, the Boston Red Sox. Alex Cora said before yesterday's loss, it's not about winning 30 games in a row at this point. It's winning series. If we win series, we'll be there, end quote. And he's absolutely right, considering they've won their last four out of five series ever since they played the Yankees last on October 18th. I don't know why I said ever. Um, like it's like their last few series is ever. I don't know why I wrote that down, but also with their IL list growing to 11 players in the last 10 days with Nick Pavetta and Danny Santana joining the list yesterday, I'd say they're pretty playing pretty damn well as of late, which is good considering they've only got 23 games to go and they're catching fire at the right time, unlike their New York rival as of late. So next up are the two teams from Chicago, starting with the one that has won six in a row. And I know what you're thinking. That must be the White Sox, right? Well, I would have thought that too had I not looked at the Cubs' recent stretch of games. Led by the likes of Jesus Christ himself, the 29-year-old Frank Schwindel, who hit a whopping 344 in the month of August and currently batting 500 in September, Cubs fans can rejoice for seeing their team succeed. Even though I'd only chalk it up as a small victory on the season, considering they beat the Twins twice and swept the Pirates in the last four games, it's still a pleasant sign to see for the now-suffering fan base. And now for the other aforementioned Windy City squad, the White Sox continue to steamroll the AL Central and are sure to get a date with the Astros in the ALDS. They're trying to secure home field advantage against them, and silent bats for the good majority of this previous weekend against Kansas City was probably not the way to go about doing that. Their most recent game saw them get shut out by Brady Singer and the Royals bullpen 6-0 in Kansas, in Kansas City on Sunday. Wow, shut out by Brady Singer, huh? Not, not a good look for the Chicago White Sox. And you know who else doesn't have a really good look right now? The Cincinnati Reds. After making a nice big charge for that second wild card spot, they kind of sputtered a bit this past week. Nothing terrible, but they did end up having a pretty poor week overall. They are now a half game back of the Padres after kind of threatening them for that second wild card spot. They have lost four straight series now, Tom. One of them was to Miami. Another one was to Detroit. And although they do have a paper-thin schedule coming up, and again, we, we will talk about that. Their schedule is pathetically easy. This past week should serve as a wake-up call to the Reds. Their hitting kind of went cold. They're pitching the same. It shouldn't really, I don't think it should be a tell of things to come. I think the Reds are a very good team. Just not a very good week overall for Cincinnati. Uh, on the contrary, the Cleveland Indians actually did not have a terrible week. They swept Kansas City, as they probably should have. Um, and they had a pretty close series with the Boston Red Sox. Albeit, they did lose two of three, but in the in game two, they almost pulled off a comeback, scoring three in the bottom, uh, excuse me, top of the ninth to tie it, only to lose it in heartbreaking fashion in the bottom of the ninth because their bullpen is a tire fire. But 
other than that, a good chunk of their hitters have been really, really good lately. Ahmed Rosario, it really... Honestly, that trade kind of looks like Cleveland won it for now. Ahmed Rosario's on fire. Framil Reyes is still mashing, albeit at an, incon bleh, albeit at an inconsistent rate. And Aaron Chavali. Aaron Chavali is set to come back from the 60-day IL this past Tuesday, albeit in a limited role, but still a good sight to see for fans of the tribe. Still a disappointing season overall. Look forward to next year, but not a bad stretch of games this past week for Cleveland. And next up... A team that, quite frankly, I thought I was going to be able to make a boatload of jokes about, Colorado Rockies, I really don't have much to say for them, which, truth's line honesty, is probably the cruelest thing either of us can do to your team. When we can't even think of something good or bad to say, that's telling. I mean, they split, or won, series against both the Dodgers and Braves. Very admirable. But, unfortunately, they did receive some grim news that one of their better pitchers of the year, albeit use that with a grain of salt, Austin Gomber is now out for the year with a stress uh, stress reaction. I can't talk. Uh, he won't need surgery, which is a good thing, but he's done for the year, probably for the best. The season's lost anyway. You might as well just preserve one of your better arms from the Nolan Arenado trade for next year when you may win five more games. Things are looking up for the Detroit Tigers after dropping four in a row to end the month of August. And what some thought would possibly be another easy series in the Reds' easy September schedule, the Tigers started the weekend off with a bang and unleashed 15 runs on the Reds. They lost their Sunday game 7-4, but only gave up one run on Sunday in a 4-1 series clinching win. What surprises me the most is that none of their starters threw more than four innings apiece during this series, and that includes Casey Mize, who threw three perfect innings in an attempt to limit his innings going down the stretch. Well, if I enjoy talking about my favorite team in the Red Sox, considering I'm a Yankee fan, I'm sure to enjoy discussing my second favorite team, the Astros. That was a little thing I like to call sarcasm. In all seriousness, though, they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games after losing the last two series to a pesky Mariners team and the Padres. They did dodge a bullet after Jordan Alvarez's x-rays were negative after being helped off the field on Saturday, due to a lot of pain in his left leg after fouling off a ball square on it. They'll also receive some help soon from Zach Greinke, who looks to return in the next few days, having not pitched since August 29th for health and safety protocols of being on the COVID-19 IL. We already went through three teams in the AL Central, and we're about to make it number four. Coming off a serious win against the White Sox this weekend, it was Salvador Perez who stole the show after becoming the first catcher to eclipse the 40 home run mark in a single season since Javi Lopez did it with the Braves in 2003. If it wasn't evident from what I'm suggesting, we're talking about the Royals, by the way. He also joined a short list of catchers who have also broken the 40 home run mark in a season, joining Lopez, Johnny Bench, Todd Hundley, Roy Campanella, and Mike Piazza. After Sunday's victory, he is now seven home runs away from tying Jorge Soler's team record of 48 he set not too long ago. All right, let's move on to the City of Angels and talk about, well, the Angels. So they swiped a pair of series last week from the Yankees. I definitely typed that wrong. I said that they swiped a series from the Angels. Oh, the Rangers. That's who I meant to write. They swiped a pair of series from the Yankees and the Rangers. And in fact... One of baseball's former top prospects in Joe Adele actually kind of went off this week. He had two home runs in one of those games against Texas, uh, collected four RBI over the past week, and swiped a bag. So good to see him doing well, especially after last year. You really want to see a young kid like that excelling at the major league level. Speaking of young prospects, pitching prospects Jansen Junk, great name by the way, and not Kyle Tucker, but Kyle Tyler, 
made their debuts for the Los Angeles Angels yesterday. Uh, Tyler went three innings, didn't allow a run. Junk allowed one run over six, I believe. And interesting note about the Angels, that actually brought their team number up to 61 players used this year total. That broke the team record of 60 from another middling 2018 campaign. Tom is clapping, even though you can't really hear it. Um, they're a 500 ball club at best. Nothing to watch this year outside of, you know, the MVP frontrunner who could kind of pitch and hit. I don't know if you've heard of him. He might have been on MLB's Twitter like once or twice. Uh, let's move across town and talk about uh, their, uh, excuse me, their rival that actually knows how to play baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have actually sniffed first place in the NL West and first place in all of Major League Baseball for the first time since April this past week with a convincing sweep of the Atlanta Braves. And it brought them to probably the series of the year, at least on paper, between them and the San Francisco Giants. The Giants did take the series, but it was a hell of a series to watch. And the Giants, excuse me, the Dodgers probably would have taken it had it not been for a costly error by Trey Turner in Game 2 and an uncharacteristically poor pitching performance from Walker Buehler yesterday. It's actually his second lowest game score of his career. If you're familiar with the term, uh, excuse me, the stat of game score, second worst performance of his career, according to that metric. They're still well within striking distance, though. They are only a game back of those San Francisco Giants, and the Dodgers have a schedule that allows them to catch up to them again, so I anticipate them to do that based on this past week. And lastly, let's go to pretty much the polar opposite National League team, because I don't have a clever transition, in the Miami Marlins. They are still very much a basement-dwelling team, but they had a pretty okay week. They stole a series from the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, halting their six-game win streak. We'll talk about them later. But it again relegates the Miami Marlins to the eternal spoiler of the National League East and not much else. Shout out to our friend Anthony Roberts, who is a struggling Miami Marlins fan. Anthony, I'm sorry. It's going to get better one day, I hope. However, they did do enough to not be in last place of the NL East anymore, so that's got to be something. Albeit, I think it's more in terms of the last place team in question blowing up in our faces rather than the Miami Marlins doing exceedingly well. But again, we will talk about them later. Marlins did all right, but they're still the Marlins. It's time to talk about the Brew Crew. Coming off a 19-9 month of sub not September, Jesus Christ. They have a 19-9 month in August. They've now won their last two series in a row against two good teams in the Giants and the Cardinals. The talk of the town, though, has to be a moment that every child dreams about. In the bottom of the ninth, with bases loaded in their last game, Daniel Vogelback ropes a ball over the right field fence for a walk-off grand slam. Their sixth walk-off this season capped off a five-run ninth inning to further their lead in the NL Central and also served as a reminder to teams that they are a legitimate force to win the World Series. From one end of the success spectrum to the other, the Minnesota Twins have just dropped the ball entirely over the past week. Although they've dropped the ball entirely this season, so it's not as much of them dropping it entirely as it is being consistently poor. Anyway, they had won only a single game over the stretch of six games before nabbing another win in their last game against the Rays. They nearly lost after blowing an early 4-0 lead until Nick Gordon saved the day by tying it up in the 7th and driving in the winning run in the ninth. I can't beat up the Twins too much for their performance, though, because they did help out my Yankees a little bit by avoiding the sweep, so I'll leave them with a thumbs up and move on. Big Apple time. Now, I'm not going to elaborate much on the Mets since we'll be discussing them in length in just a bit, but all I'll say is that this has been one of those weeks that baseball fans like to refer to as a, quote, classic Mets moment. 
The only thing that separates this moment from the rest is that they've actually managed to win nearly every single game this week en route to a now-broken seven-game winning streak. Also, a side note, if they lose their next game, they'll bring their season record to 69-69. and 69. Nice. Nice indeed. Let's stay in the Big Apple and talk about some pain. Again, we're not going to go too deep into this team because, trust me, we will elabor- elaborate on them later, but the New York Yankees. Oh, where to begin? Where to begin with the New York Yankees? They went from flying high in the first wildcard spot to potentially falling to the Red Sox. Jonathan Loisega, quite possibly the best reliever in the American League, at least I would say top 10 reliever in the American League, is on the 10-day injured list out of Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. The offense has gone largely cold. Um, And they have lost back-to-back series where they against teams they should have annihilated. We will go into more detail later, but I will leave you with these parting words. Um, I'm in pain. Many Yankee fans are. Uh, but you know what? It could always be worse. We could be fans of the Oakland A's. How do you like that transition? The Oakland A's are free-falling, to put it in words that Tom Petty would appreciate. Uh, they were embarrassingly swept by the Toronto Blue Jays this past weekend, and it didn't particularly look close despite that game on Friday, which may have been the game of the year. We'll probably talk about that later. That was a fantastic game. Their bullpen is a trash heap. Their closer for most of the year was Lou Trevino. He has combusted entirely this past weekend, allowing home runs to, uh, I believe it was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Marcus Simeon this past weekend. I don't even know who you asked to step up in that case. The A's are really in trouble. Outside of Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, possibly Starling Marte, there's no one in that lineup you can really count on to be consistent enough. I really don't want my team star player to be Josh Harrison right now. And they have officially fallen below the Mariners in the wildcard race. Ouch. A's are in trouble. We'll talk more about them later. Now let's hop over to the National League and talk about a team that surprisingly surged, and that was the Philadelphia Phillies. They pulled off an impressive six-game win streak to bring themselves within two games of the top-seeded Braves in their division. Bryce Harper, I really don't know why people aren't talking about him more, because he is playing like a bonafide MVP. It's his best offensive season sans that 2015 year, where he pretty much unanimously won MVP. Uh, They did lose... Uh, Their six-game win streak in Miami, which, by the way, the Phillies haven't won a series in Miami since 2019, which, yes, as good as the Phillies did this week, you can't imagine me not finding something to dig them on. But all things considered, they still are in this race, surprisingly. Like I said, they're only two games back of the Braves. Uh, Even though their pitching staff is a bit turbulent and the run differential is pretty ghastly, if their hitting could keep hitting like they are, I'm looking at Harper, I'm looking at McCutcheon, um, I'm looking at guys like Didi Gregorius to maybe turn it around. Uh, but they have a legitimate shot at this. I really do. And this past week showed it. Yarg. More like yikes. With each passing week, the Pirates bring themselves to new lows that I didn't even expect them. Or er, f- I messed up that line. With each, f- with each passing week, the Pirates bring themselves to new lows that I didn't even expect. F- <laughs> I'm almost half tempted to leave this in. With each passing week, the Pirates bring themselves to new lows that I didn't even know would be possible, but also that I definitely expected in the middle of their rebuild. I don't really have anything good to say about this past week, other than they actually managed to defeat the Cardinals for their only win of the week. I'll also take this opportunity to console Brian Reynolds for having to endure all the Pirates have been through, even though he's playing at what I consider to be an MVP level. Time to go back-to-back NL West teams, starting with Slam Diego. You can count them out of the NL West division race, but don't what, but don't count them out quite yet of the NL wild card race as an incredibly difficult ending to their. Sc- 
<laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Tom, 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 you have some editing to do. You can count them out of the NL West division race, but don't count them out quite yet of the NL wildcard race as an incredibly difficult ending to their season schedule approaches. There we go. I got it that time. They do go into that winning their last two series against the D-backs and the Astros. Plus, Blake Snell's been looking like his old self in his last two outings, allowing only a single run in 14 and two-thirds innings pitch with 20 Ks, and Jake Cronenworth walked it off into the Crone Zone in their last game to give them a half-game lead in the wildcard race over the Reds. They'll need every ounce of luck going forward if they want to keep that lead. I don't know if I am going to keep all that editing session in, but if I didn't, then just know that what for whatever reason, getting through the Padres was a doozy. Boy, I wish the Giants and the Dodgers could meet in the NLCS. That most likely won't happen, considering both teams' win totals. But without going into too much detail for now, the Giants really needed that series win against their rivals to gain the advantage on them in the NL West race by one game. This comes after San Francisco lost their previous two series against Milwaukee and Atlanta. All right, I am going to take this transition as smoothly as possible to avoid any further editing cuts. Uh, If you heard nothing wrong, disregard what I just said. And that being said, let's go to see and talk about the Seattle Mariners, who, if you ask me, have been one of the biggest surprises all week. Tom loved that transition. Uh, They really have been one of the biggest surprises of this week, to me anyway. They took two of three from Houston, already impressive enough. They swept Arizona, which... Albeit you expect that, but you know, as evident with the New York Yankees, sometimes it can be hard beating teams with 90 losses, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Seattle really showed up this week, and their hitting core, particularly guys like Kyle Seeger, who is low-key having a very solid season at the plate, Ty France, and Mitch Haniger, have all blossomed. They've all turned into cornerstones of that Mariners lineup that, albeit that got no hit twice earlier in the year, has really started to turn a corner. Their pitching staff, led by guys like Marco Gonzalez, Chris Flexen, and an albeit hot and cold Yusei Kikuchi have been mostly solid. They've really anchored the Mariners through this uh, hot stretch here, and they've pulled themselves within three games of that wildcard spot. They are the next team up should Boston or the Yankees fall out. I'm very impressed with them. They've won up the A's. I don't know for how long. It's still the Mariners you kind of think about here, but I'm impressed, which is more than I'll say for many teams this week. And it's actually more than I will say for the St. Louis Cardinals, because as Tom mentioned earlier in their series against Milwaukee, boy, was it a heartbreaker for them. They lost two of three, that third one in heartbreaking fashion, a walk-off grand slam, and again, we'll get to that later. We'll come back to that again. The bullpen has absolutely faltered. Alex Reyes, who, by the way, almost had 30 saves this year, lost the closer role after blown save, after blown save, after blown save. Giovanni Gallegos is now the closer, and even he's a bit questionable. He's the one that loaded the bases for that game, winning grand slam. And overall, it's been a season of heartbreak for the St. Louis Cardinals. They're 13 games out of their division lead, and they are three games out of the wild card. Not terrible, but in a stacked wild card race. You got you got you got to perform more consistently than that. You can't rely on Goldie and Arenado every day, and that pitching staff needs to show up, especially with Flaherty gone for a while. And lastly, for me anyway, we're going to talk about Tom already talked about his two favorite teams in the Red Sox and the Astros. Now let's talk about my favorite team, the Tampa Bay Rays. And I begrudgingly have to admit that they're still the team to beat the American League. And it's not even particularly close. They made quick work of a contender in Boston and a glorified doormat in the Minnesota Twins. Wander Franco is looking every bit as advertised. He is one game shy of getting on base 
from tying Mickey Mantle. I said that right. Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Yeah, Wander Franco's about to tie him for on-base streaks by a 20-year-old. That's how good he's been. They have a rotating door of closers in that bullpen, which I find interesting about the Tampa Bay Rays. 13 players have recorded a save for them so far this year. That's their vintage Tampa Bay style. Just throw someone on the mound and pray they can get three outs, and nine times out of ten, they do. Oh, I love this team so much. Uh, but speaking actual praise, Brandon Lau has been on fire second half of this year. More people need to be talking about him. Since June 11th, the kid has a 987 OPS. He's been one of the best hitters in baseball. Sans second, forget second baseman, he's been one of the best hitters in baseball since the second half. So, very happy with him. Rays are going to have to blow up hard in order to lose their AL East crown. They probably secure themselves a date with the wild card winner, of which I can't imagine they lose. Three more teams to go on this edition of Around the Horn, and we start in the Lone Star State, where the Rangers continue to make Texans angry at how bad their team is. Last week, they played the Rockies at home for three games and earned two Ws on the standings, although that's not really much of a challenge considering Colorado has a road record of 18-50 and 50 this season. That's not something Rangers fans should laugh at considering they are somehow worse on the road, sporting a 17-51 and 51 record. They added two losses and a win to that column after playing three out of their four games with the Angels over the weekend. One of the best moments in baseball occurred this past week in Toronto when the A's paid them a visit. Down 8-2, entering the 8th, Lordy's Gurriel Jr. gave his team some life with a game-tying grand slam, and fast-forward one inning, Marcus Semien rocks the Rogers Center after crushing a, th a walk-off three-run home run against his former team. He later went on to say of the game, Quote, we just woke up. That not only applies to the outcome of the game, but also the Jays' play of late because they've won four in a row in seven of their last ten. They are four games back of the final wildcard spot in the AL and have a ton of momentum going into a pivotal four-game series against the lifeless Yankees. 29 down, one to go. We cap things off with the Washington Nationals. Yes, I wish we could end the segment with a more exciting team, too considering they've dropped seven straight games before winning one doubleheader game against the Mets Saturday afternoon. In that game, starting pitcher Josh Rogers threw on an MLB mound for the first time since undergoing Tommy John surgery in 2019. The 27-year-old pitched a career-high five and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, struck out five, and he recorded the win. So at least something good did come out the past week for the Nationals. Congrats to Josh Rogers on your return to the mound. And with that being said, that is all, folks, for Around the Horn. And deep yes, breath. Yes, and deep breath. That is all, folks, for Around the Horn this week. Oh, my God. I don't know if, Tony, I don't know if the, we're going to leave all that in. I doubt it. Just because <laughs> I want to avoid sounding so completely discombobulated over air, but. Oh, what are you, what are you talking about? People want to hear you slip and slide over just a transition into the pot trades. I'm not going to act like I was perfect, but that's a pilot episode. Exactly. That's what they're for. You got to get all the kinks out now, although the kinks will still be there if we get to an episode 300 for whatever reason. They're still going to be there. Don't worry about that. Um, But yeah. it's, we'll just be better at dancing around. Exactly. There were some doozies there. But again, that's it for Around the Horn this week. Now, before we talk about the major headlines for this past week, we are going to be doing something on the show, just some basic trivia questions to spruce things up a little bit, test our knowledge, 
and create a transition in between the Around the Horn and major headlines discussions. Tony, you're up first. What do you got? That is right, Tom. Now, this trivia question is brought to you by no one. Please sponsor us. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Tom, prior to the show, prior to today's show, I told you that I had two questions in mind, and I could use one of them, an easier one and a hard one, and you said, and I quote, eh, just give me both. It's fine. So, you have yourself to thank if you don't get at least one of these right. I think you should get one, but the other I one hope so. I was stumped at this one, so... Wait, hang on, hang on. Are you starting me off with the hard one or the easy one? I need to know that. Ooh, do you... Ooh, should I not tell you? I mean, that would be very cruel and unusual punishment, um, but... Ooh, I should not Uh, tell you. you. Go on. (laughs) You can be as cruel as you want with your (laughs) question, though, if I'm doing this. (laughs) Out of nowhere. Um, yeah, what was Derek Jeter's OPS in 2001? Oh, I thought that was Um, a question for a second. Okay, go on. (laughs) Oh, I should have been, though. But either way, first part of this question, Tom, two very impressive, amazing, very fun things happened in baseball this past week. One of them we already talked upon in detail when talking about the um, the Brewers and the Cardinals, that of course being a walk-off Grand Slam. Daniel Vogelback last night, which last night being September 5th, we're recording this on the 6th, became the first player of the, 20, uh, of the 2020s to hit a walk-off Grand Slam. Who was the last player to do it? What year did he do it in, and who was the opponent? I think I have a good idea, because I believe it was one of his first games with the Cubs, if I'm thinking of the correct player. I believe it's David Bodie um, of the Cubs. I believe, I want to say 2018, just a random guess, and I'm going to guess it was against the Cardinals. I can remember it picture perfect in my head that moment for Bodie. I just don't know if that's the correct answer. Did I get that right, actually? You got it right. <laughs> I'll be, I will say you got it 66% oh. of the way right because it was against the Nationals. But I'll give you that. It was a team with a red color scheme. You got Bodie and you got the year. I was worried the year might be a little rude, but it's me. <laughs> so. If you don't know Tony, he's a terrible person so. off air. I just wanted to put that as a disclaimer. Yes. I actually twisted Tom's arm to doing uh, this podcast. How'd you know? <laughs> All right, and if you were convinced I'm a terrible person yet, Tom, are you ready for the second part of this question? Bring it on. Because that, because that might have been the easy one. So I hinted at this earlier when I was talking about the Atlanta Braves that something very fun and exciting happened to them. Now this had to do with their infield. The Braves infield this year became the second infield in MLB history in which all four of them, first base, second base, shortstop, and third base, collected 25 home runs at minimum. Albies, Freeman, Swanson, and Riley all have at least 25. I believe 26 is actually the floor. Tom, I want you to name me the other team that collected 25 home runs minimum from all four infielders. Oh, you suck. <laughs> oh, crap. If you, if, I, I, will, I will not even make fun of you for this if you get this wrong, because I would never have guessed this. You would have never guessed this. That's not a if, good sign. If, if you want me to give you hints, I'll give you hints. I'll be. Nice. Let me try and work this out for a second. I'm trying to think of, like, possible teams. I'm thinking maybe it's the Braves in the 90s. They went on a World Series run. They had a lot of people there. I don't think a lot of them had too much power in the infield, though. Um, Didn't they have a Hall of Fame third baseman? No, they did. They have Chipper Jones. They did have that, but I don't. I can't recall the others that played in the infield for them. I'm going to need at least one hint, Tony. You're going to have to give me that. 
That is that is fair. Honestly, I prepared a few of them, actually. I'll give you one right now. It happened in the 21st century. So the 21st century. Give me a reminder of what that is for the kids out there that might not know what the 21st century is. <laughs> this happened since the year okay. 2000. It happened from the year 2000 to 2021. Who knows? It, who knows? It might have happened in April. Oh, okay. No. Wait, no, that's literally no, that impossible. Dis- disregard me. Disregard me, yeah, I'm an idiot. Well, it's okay. I'm an Go idiot ahead. too. I didn't remember what the 21st century was. So, um, happened in the year <laughs> from 2000 onward. All hit over 25 home runs. Would it be would it be got, the like two more would hits it be prepped. the New York Yankees? It would not be the New York Yankees. Me. I was thinking, eh, maybe Jeter. I think he hit over 25 once. I was thinking maybe Boone was there during a happen. Um, that would that would that would have been a good guess though when they had Teixeira, Cano, Arod, and Jeter. Oh, I wasn't even thinking of that. I was I was thinking of like I, I know early he said 2000s. Boone, but <laughs> mm. all right. I think what our plan initially was for this was to give us thirty seconds to try and figure it out. I'm not going to be able to get this. I'm going <laughs> to throw in the white towel. Let's. I oh, I should have read the rundown before giving you this question. Why'd you like? Why'd you make me do? No, that? it's okay. Why'd you let me? Listen, do you that? posed me two questions. I wanted to answer both of them. I just meant like. We're going to have to answer these in 30 seconds, but what is the answer, Tony? So the answer is the 2008 Florida Marlins. Oh, and their infield wait, hang was... on. Let me try and guess this. I know Hanley Ramirez was there. Dan Ugla had yep. to be one of them. Yes. You got them uh, both. Was Josh Willingham the first baseman? Josh Willingham was not the first baseman. I, I will tell you, I personally have never about, heard of these two men. Was Gabby Sanchez one of them? Good guess, but no. I know he was on the team then. I think he was the guy who rocked like Niger Morgan when he charged the mound against the Nationals. Or against the Marlins when he was on the Nationals. I know it's Ugla and Ramirez. Who are the other two? Ugla and Ramirez, you got right. Ugla had 32. Ramirez had 33, actually. First baseman was Mike Jacobs, who hit 32. And it was Jorge Cantu on the other side of the diamond, who hit 29. See, I know those players because I like to imagine I know the 2000s pretty well. I would not have guessed the Florida Marlins, though, because of just oh. how Marlins-y they are. Like, no. We should have had you We should have had you phone in our buddy Anthony Roberts. He's gotten his second shout-out in the first, what, half hour of the show? <laughs> yeah. I'll be at the, that probably would have given it away, but oh, that, with a question like that, I'm okay with I that. I would have given it away, but then if I had to guess the players, I, w- I, I would have gotten two of them because I knew two of them could hit home runs. I completely forgot about Jorge Cantu and uh, Mike Jacobs. But thank you, Tony, for that trivia question. I've got another... I apologize in advance. <laughs> yeah, I've got another trivia question coming up after our major headlines discussion. Um, so yeah, now we're going into our major headlines discussion. I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward of what we're going to be talking about. Anything big that happened over the MLB over the course of the past week or that could happen in the future. Um, although I think everything we're just talking about is mainly the past week, except for maybe, well, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Let's just jump right into it. We, we've got first up on the rundown, headline number one, the New York Mets. Oh, dear when are they, God. Boy, do they know how to take the headlines. Yes, so boy, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read off a graphic made by Met City on Instagram um, that our friend Nicolette sent us. That I think describes their week pretty well. I completely even forgot some of this stuff even happened when I was making this rundown, just because of how Mets this week has been. So Tony, this week in Mets history, 
Noah Syndergaard celebrates his birthday. Happy birthday. Here's COVID-19. He got COVID on his birthday. That sucks. Um, I don't think he's pitching at the moment, but that still sucks. You don't want to see anybody get COVID on your birthday. Um, but then the whole controversy about the symbol of where you're going to boo your own fan base for you sucking the entire season. I think it was Javi Baez that started, or maybe Frankie Lindor also chimed in on it. But they've sucked since they've been with the Mets before this happened, and then they obviously got booed the next day. And the president of the baseball operations had to clap back on a blog post just to pretty much ensure that they're going to be selling seats at City Field this season the rest of the way. And then, if it wasn't bad enough for Javi Baez at that point, he lost a 200 thousand dollar diamond on the baseball field i don't know how i just know it's javi baez i forget what happened there i think i read about it and then i scrolled past it on twitter and then, and then their acting gm jack scott gets busted for drunk driving um that was a story in itself arrested for a dui i think he was sleeping one off in the back seat or something like that and then a cop found him and then they arrested him because uh he failed to submit a breathalyzer or whatever he took a test and he failed so he got arrested and then how the hell do they go on a seven-game winning streak after all this happens? Are you... What the hell, Tony? Tom, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. I don't remember most of that stuff happening that week. Like, the Javi Baez diamond thing, I don't remember. The Noah Syndergaard COVID thing actually got drowned out beneath the sea of thumbs down and poor general manager antics. But I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. I tried to think of some kind of analytical approach to this, some kind of insightful way to truly deep dive and dissect this section because, you know, it's the pilot episode. You want to put your best foot forward and express out there that maybe you're not a pair of unqualified tri-staters who just like to rag on their favorite and least favorite teams. But Tom, am I wrong in saying that the only appropriate reaction to this is, well, it's the Mets. Oh, meet like, the Mets. Am, am, meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Holy crap. Can, like, can this happen to any other team? Can, can I just ask that? Can you ever see this happening to the, the, the Padres, the Pirates? Okay, maybe the Pirates. The, the, the Milwaukee Brewers. Could this happen to any team not named the New York Mets? You know, going on seven-game winning streaks, that's something we've obviously seen before from hopefully every team in MLB history at this rate. But all this chain of events, like snow pie, snowballing, like you're dragging it up a mountain. Like, I forget, I was going to tell a story about like the guy who dragged it up the mountain, like the snowball or whatever. But it's just a snowballing of shit happening to the New York Mets. I don't see how this happens to anybody else. Just for the extent of how bad these events have been. Like, shit has happened to other teams before, Tony. But nothing like what's happened to the New York Mets this week. But they have you have to admit they have been playing some pretty good baseball, though, over the past week, considering they did go on a seven-game winning streak. That's the one thing I will give them. And especially, I will note, this is, pro this is not the first like series of unfortunate events, I suppose you could call it, that has befall befallen the New York Mets. Honestly, that could be a good, good tell-all book about the Mets' history. But either way... Um, the one thing I will give them is that I've never seen such a string of unfortunate events be used as fuel for this team to start winning games. Usually when crap like this happens to the Mets, it inevitably leads to middling mediocrity or crippling losing streaks and disappointing seasons. Like, just off the top of my head, uh, Luis Castillo dropping the ball. Thoroughly embarrassing. The Mets did not do very good in 2009. 
As a result, the triple play of uh, Jeff Rancourt, Eric Bruntlett happened that year too. Uh, if you want to talk about off-the-field stuff, there's Noah Syndergaard getting hand, foot, and mouth disease. I feel so bad for Noah Syndergaard, man, because it just hit me. Why does this man get struck down with the most wacky, wacky illnesses possible? I'm not calling COVID-19 wacky, let that be known, but I'm also saying, wow, Noah Syndergaard is bad luck, and I really feel bad for him. But you also do have to consider, I, I will circle back to this, the Mets are winning. Like you said, Tom, they're closer in the NL East race than they've been since they were in first place. It's actually kind of hard to believe that they were in first place for a good chunk of this season. See, we're not also including the fact that they blew a nine-run lead to the Washington Nationals this past week and then followed it up by blowing a four-run lead that they had early on, and they still managed to win both those games. Congratulations, Universe. You win. You granted the Mets a W, two Ws that they deserved to lose. I mean, I'm just trying to think of a standout player during this time. I'm looking at how he buys his numbers just because he went four for four last night, um, last night to us, Sunday, November 5th, um, to you guys. Four for four, one home run, two RBIs. He was hit by a pitch. He stole a base. Since they started their winning streak, Javi Baez has risen his batting average from 244 all the way up to 251, although I think that's mainly in large part due to that 4 for 4 performance cuz going into the game uh he was bang 243 but still like this is just completely unfathomable and i have no words to explain how the mets have gotten through this and still won 7 games i the only other name i could possibly throw at you is kevin pilar who albeit is being the guy is starting off being the guy to step up in center field since Brandon Nimmo went down with a hamstring injury they're probably going to be relying on Pilar a lot down the stretch and he showed up against the Nationals this past series collected excuse me collected six hits two home runs one of them was a grand slam drove in eight runs that series Kim Pilar is fantastic so if you want to point like you you can point to Javi Baez uh albeit a 200 grand uh poor Javi Baez poor him a a red-hot Kevin Pillar who was getting red-hot at the right time. But again, Tom, this is definitely doing so well to show our insightful insight part of the broadcast. But when we don't have an answer other than, oh, well, it's the Mets, I think that's enough of a tell because what else is there to say? You rattled off the laundry list of escapades this team has gone on the past week. I'm pretty sure y'all are aware of at least 90% of that at this rate. The thumbs-down thing you had to hurt was of, enough to turn people you had to against heard of at least the one of them. team. I I know I know friends who grew up Mets fans and said they're gonna have a hard time rooting for them now that the thumbs down thing was in effect. Obviously, Sandy Alderson's words comforted them a little bit, but stuff like that hurts. But apparently, the fans, or excuse me, the players, used that per uh, took that personally. To quote Michael Jordan, I suppose. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, I, Tom, I really don't know what else to add to this particular Mets topic because normally I would love to just dig in and say like, oh yeah, the Mets, they're a joke, they're this, they're that. But they did weird shit and they won seven games. It's like, how do you approach that? Well, you know, I can approach it by saying they played the Mo- the Marlins and the Nationals. So when they actually get real competition, they're going to show off if that momentum is real or not, or if that was just, we're playing the two worst teams in our division, some of the worst teams in baseball. We're going to chalk up these free Ws. But going to another New York team that can't say that is the New York Yankees. And I just wrote down on the rundown, the Yankees give me Ajita. They give me Ajita. If you don't know what that means, 
it pretty much means I want to have, I would rather die of a heart attack watching the Yankees than actually watch any game fully through from start to end or pick up in the middle because I know it's just going to be a complete another shitstorm once I start putting on the TV because of how bad they've played. Um, Tony, I'll let you describe what happened to the Yankees this week in case anybody has no idea what happened to them. You're going to let me re reopen this Pandora's box that I locked deep away in my subconscious hoping to never reopen again? <laughs> yeah, sure, <Thank> why you. <laughs> not? <laughs> so, <clears throat> I gave you a little bit of a crop-dusting uh, description of what happened to the Yankees this week, and that just a brief little, you know, they lost, they suck now, they lost to a 92-loss Orioles team for the first time since 2019. How to describe, how to, hmm, how to describe this other than the word pain? Uh, well... They did have a very good series against the Oakland Athletics uh, this past weekend. They split the series. It was, a, it was a series you really needed to either split or win to really keep that ground in the wild card race. And, and obviously the Oakland A's have slipped tremendously. Yeah, and keep in mind... So credit to them for that. Yeah, keep in mind they were on their 13-game winning streak. That ended in Oakland. So obviously you have to expect maybe they'll drop a game or two right after that. I mean, that's expected of teams that go on winning streaks like that. But uh, go on. Oh, of course. You can't expect every team to be the 2017 Indians and just rattle off 21 wins, 22 wins. Like, it's nothing. And I, I'll be it. I don't think any Yankees fan or any baseball fan expected that. In fact, most baseball fans probably prayed it would stop so the Yankees would stop winning. Oh, and stop winning, they did. Uh, in the form of dropping two of three to the Los Angeles Angels. Wow. Um, they let up five runs in the fourth inning of game one. Uh, by the way, on the back of another towering home run by Shohei Otani, he's pretty good, isn't he? They lost game two, four to six. Uh, they fell in a hole in the fifth inning. They allowed three runs the inning before, three runs the innings after. Excuse me, the inning after. And it just didn't go well. Shohei Otani, again, kind of showed up. He stole home that game. So, again, he's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, he's pretty damn um, good. Some say he's going to be... Some say, you know, he might be or may or may not be the best player on planet Earth right now. I don't, I don't know why people say that, but I, I guess they have some, I, I, I guess they have their reasons. I, I heard he's okay. He, he's not bad. He, he's, he's no Tyler Wade, though. No, no Tyler Wade, no Clint <laughs> Frazier, no anybody else that is on the Yankees right now. Go on. <laughs> so, nevertheless, Jameson Tyone takes the loss in Game 2 after a scalding hot second half he was off to. Uh, game three, they won. Game three, they won. Convincing fashion, four to one. All around complete game by the staff. Garrett Cole pitches his damn arm off. Oh, and then they return home for a date with the Orioles. Oh, Jesus. That can only go uh, well, you would think. Uh, right? They're in the loving confines of the Bronx. That sounds weird to say. Nestor Cortez pitched an absolute beauty. I actually, this is one of the games this week that I watched beginning to end. Most games, like baseball games, Yankees games, I at least try to catch snippets of. Obviously, I can't watch every game ever. But this game I actually sat through and watched all the way through. And from what I remember, Nestor Cortez was great. Most of the bullpen was okay. Emphasis on most. Clay Holmes actually pitched out of a uh, pitched out of a top of the 11th. That got very, very hairy, so credit to him. I'm usually the one criticizing Clay Holmes, but a lot of credit to him. And John Carlos Stanton hit a 120-mile-per-hour single to walk it off. You would think, everything, wow, that was such a great win. You walk it off in the 11th inning in front of your home fans to beat a middling Baltimore team. Let's ride that momentum into a series sweep. No. No. Of course not. It's never easy, it's never easy with the New York f***ing Yankees, isn't it? I, Tom, would you like to take the reins for these last two games? Because I think just looking at this box oh, score, this summary, like, I'll, I'll give you a hand. 
I'll, I'll start you off with this for game two of that series. Araldus Chapman, closer of the future or closer of the future? Yeah, his near future, he might not be with the New York Yankees if he keeps getting booed off the mound every time he pitches. But first off, credit to Matt Blake for fixing Aroldis Chapman's mechanics. He originally had him crouched down like to begin the year, I guess to add some like add some juice to his fastball or whatever. And then he kind of stands him straight up, more relaxed, more natural. Looks like he's got a little bit better command, maybe. I don't know. His splitter certainly seems to work a lot better from what I remember. <sighs> but I might be getting ahead of myself. I could be thinking of the wrong game. But, Tony, I was in New York City that day. Because I was wor- I work in New York City. Um, that's my main job right now. They were getting no hit by the Baltimore Orioles. A 92 loss! Baltimore Orioles, by the way, no hit by Joe Schmo Clay Ellis or whatever the hell his name is for six whole innings. I almost clocked out of work and threw myself in front of the subway tracks. That was so terrible. Until Glaber Torres actually got a hit. And then I'm like, okay, now I can leave work and I'm not going to be mad. Good. And then Joey Gallo hits a home run. They scored a run that seventh inning. Joey Gallo hits a home run in the eighth. He ties it up. And then Aroldis Chapman loads the bases in the ninth. From what I remember, I forget how, but he allowed a run to come in because his dumbass allowed the bases to get loaded. And then the Yankees didn't do anything, and then I turned off the game. I was on the bus at that rate on my way home, and yeah, I turned off the game, and I was just contemplating life. I'm like, what has my life gotten to where the Yankees are losing games to the Baltimore Orioles? Um, I I also wanted to start this off by saying we will not talk about the Yankees every week, by the way, if you don't like the Yankees. But if you don't like the Yankees, then you'll probably enjoy this discussion a lot. Um, Agreed. And real quickly before, because I know we got to get on to the rest of the AL East because we wanted to talk about that and some other headlines. Uh, You know what, Brian Cashman, you let this on yourself. Yeah, can I I chime in for this really quick? Because I know exactly who you're going to talk about. Oh, I know. You know, I know, every Yankee fan out there knows. You can go on, and then I'll give my two cents. So, Tom, I try to be an optimist when it comes to MLB trades, when it comes to the moves that general managers make, because baseball general managers have a very hard job. It kind of, in many ways, it's a thankless job. And I like to think Brian Cashman was in a similar mindset when he traded for um, Angels starter Andrew Heaney. Uh, and Andrew Heaney, who with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Los Angeles, posted a 5.27 ERA, already not too great, prone to giving up base hits, the long ball, in an Angel Stadium that is a much more pitcher-friendly park than Yankee Stadium when you compare the two. Um, his ERA with the New York Yankees has ballooned to 7.62 uh, with the team. Overall MLB ERA with both of them is now kissing six. Um, he has played in seven games for the Yankees, started five of them. And on Sunday, Tom, he did not start. He came out of the bullpen. <sighs> came out of the bullpen to defend a lead. And that lead was not there when Andrew Heaney walked off the mound to thunderous boos from Yankee Stadium. And normally I feel very bad when pitchers, batters, whoever gets booed at any stadium. But to get booed off the mound at Yankee Stadium, when you only record one out, to a team that probably could be handled easily by Mississippi State. I, I, I There's a very big part of me that feels bad for Andrew Heaney. But there's an equally large part that wants to thr- drive my thumb through my thumbs through my eyes whenever I watch the TV. You know, that's my two cents. You know, Tom, go right ahead, and then we can move on to the AL East. You know, I was <laughs> actually in attendance for that one Boston game where Andrew Heaney started and he threw seven gem 
innings against the Red Sox. The Yankees went on to win that game. They had a headache in the ninth inning. Thank you, Aroldis Chapman, again, for giving me a headache that day. Um, but the Yankees won that game. That was great. I had a lot of fun at that game. I had a Yankee fan and a Red Sox fan with me, so obviously we're giving the Red Sox fan a lot of flack, but we're buddies, so it's fine. It's whatever. He's used to all that shit. I'm done playing heeny, meeny, miny, mo of whether or not he's going to be good on the mound. Heeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a fucking bat. God damn. He catches all the bats of every opponent he's going to be playing. What the hell? Stop giving up runs. Like, I don't care what Aaron Boone has to say. Oh, he gave up self-contact. That's no contact. Just don't put him in the game. If he's going to suck that bad, and you know nine times out of ten, Andrew Heaney's going to suck on the mound and give up a ton of runs, why are you putting him in? Are you kidding me? This is Brian Cashman's fault. I tweeted yesterday, I will send you, I, or shameless plug, I will read to you guys what I wrote to Brian Cashman on Twitter yesterday. Um, it said... This could only end well. Oh, it can only end well. I didn't curse at it, at least. So, it said, to Brian Cashman, this is what you get for trading for Andrew Heaney. Do the right thing. Let him go now. We don't need any more of this nonsense. Sincerely, Yankees fans everywhere. That got me a couple of likes. I was proud of myself for that. Pat on the back. Holy shit. Shameless self-plug, but... Um, TLDR, Yankees no good right now. And in order to aptly... Uh, picture this, they are now only a half game up on the Boston Red Sox, and the Blue Jays are now starting to remember how to play baseball with a sweep of the A's, so Tom, this AL East, albeit even though I still think it's Tampa Bay's to lose, the middle of the pack with the Yankees forgetting how to play against Baltimore, has I don't want to say has been blown open, but has opened the door to uh, some scenarios that weren't that didn't seem possible two weeks ago. No, not at all. First of all, Tampa Bay, they're going to run with the division. No matter how much they slump down the stretch, the Yankees are next in line. They're seven and a half back. They might not even win seven or eight games down the stretch with how poor they've been playing. And the rest of the AL East, even the Baltimore Orioles, I can say, because they beat the Yankees of all teams, has been playing very well as of recently. I think I alluded to that when I was talking about Boston. I think I had Toronto, too, in um around the horn. I almost forgot the name of our segment for a second. But they've the, let's start with Boston. They've won their four of their last five series ever since they played the Yankees last. That's when they were going through hell and all that. And then the Red Sox and the Red Sox faith were saying, we're throwing in the towel. We might not be making the wild card. They still, actually, I think Oakland had the other wild card spot that time. I think the Yankees were leapfrogging Oakland at that time, who, by the way, has fallen off a complete another cliff. We'll talk about them in a little bit. But Boston is now a half game back. Toronto is four games back of Boston, four and a half of the Yankees. They are playing exponentially well right now. Things are actually clicking for them. It used to be, well, their bullpen might not be working, but spoiler alert, they're working. They're firing on all cylinders. They've won seven of their last ten, four in a row, and this red-hot ball—not Baltimore, f- I'm so red used to talking Baltimore. about—yeah, I'm so used to talking about Baltimore now. <laughs> this red-hot t- t- Toronto Blue Jays team now has to come— into the Bronx, I believe. Yes, into the Bronx. And they're going to play four games this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, against the New York Yankees, that low, low team. Tony, if the Yankees somehow get swept, first of all, they can kiss their lead goodbye in the AL wildcard race. 
And Toronto is only going to be a half game back of New York should that happen. That, I'm not going to dismiss the possibility of them getting swept because, Tom, like you said, the Toronto Blue Jays have had a good amount of success against the Yankees as of late. And albeit it won't be easy, A, to sweep the Yankees because it's hard to sweep any team for four straight games. And number two, there's actually kind of a conflict of interest here because the Yankees are playing the Blue Jays and the Rays are playing the Red Sox. Uh, so well, so actually, we could easily see a dichotomy showing up. We could see two teams emerging as powerhouses in the AL East right now and kind of kind of do away with this sort of power cluster right here. I'll be at Tampa Bay, still going to be at the top. Boston could sweep them, they're still going to be at the top. But all that's going to happen if Boston sweeps them is that one-two punch in the AL East is going to be Tampa-Boston rather than Tampa-New York or possibly even Tampa-Toronto. We'll see. I mean, for all we know, the Boston Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays can come to a gentleman's agreement to let the Red Sox sweep Tampa just because Tampa might not want to go through the Yankees should they somehow play them in the playoffs. Although, at this rate, I don't even know if the Yankees will even get past the wild card game, if they even make the wild card game at this week, at or rather at this rate. So, can the Yankees hold on to their lead? Yeah, they can. But they've got Boston coming up right in their rear tracks. I'm hoping, for the very least... Everybody splits their series against each other. Like you said, Tampa, Boston, hopefully it's 2-2. Two, two. It's a four-game series against them, right? I believe it's three. Oh, three. F- well, then let's... With ho- Toronto, Toronto staying here for four games. And actually, as we speak, they are underway. The count is 0-1 to George Springer. We won't be providing play-by-play, but if you hear us randomly curse at any point in the broadcast going forward, you know why. Oh, I thought they were playing tonight. God damn it. Oh, wait, it's Labor Day when we're recording this, so obviously they're playing a day game. Surprise. Yeah, surprise. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Yeah. Ha- oh, yeah, happy Labor Day. We should have started that <laughs> off on the broadcast. I <laughs> well, guess we'll just do well, it now. To, I, to be fair, it's not going to be Labor Day when this is posted. I'd be surprised if it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So we're going to talk about the f- playoff pictures a little bit further in the show, so I don't want to continue this discussion much further. Let's jump into the next headline. We've got two more for you that we're going to do. And that is Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. They just had their 300th game together as a battery unit. So major congratulations to Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright on this historic achievement. And by the way, on that day, I believe they beat. Um, who were they playing? I had it up on. I had it up here somewhere. There it is. We have they, seven million tabs open in case you couldn't tell. Yes, exactly. I've got but. like. Google Chrome open right now to do some, like, for recording purposes, to have a backup recording. And then I've got Safari on the other hand um, with all my baseball stuff. But um, they beat the Brewers 15-4 to that day. Adam Wainwright, who should be getting Cy Young votes, by the way. I think, Tony, you were talking about that when we were talking last night um, on Discord about that. He threw six scoreless innings, and then he had to hand the ball over to his manager, Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina hammered a grand slam in the final swing of the game. For him, that's just a perfect way to, I think, go about it. Adam Wainwright throwing six scoreless innings, and then Yadier Molina getting it done with the bat. I think that's a perfect way to describe what this tandem has done together throughout their careers. I absolutely agree. They're one of the best batteries in baseball history, one of the more likable duos, I think, ever in baseball history. Certainly. Especially now, eclipsing eclipsing this milestone. Is this a deep drive by Marcus Semien into the... Bronx afternoon, and that'll make it oh, are you Toronto. Fucking kidding me, son of a bitch! <laughs> I I really don't want to talk about the Yankees anymore going forward because we just 
spieled about them, but it happened just now. Oh, thanks, James ah. Italian. Thank you. You have not been but telling good ever since you were a player of the month in <laughs> July or whatever. But go on, Tony. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Nevertheless, I interrupted myself. Don't be sorry. Uh, Adam Wainwright, like you said, Tom, I really do think he should be getting Cy Young votes this year. Albeit, I don't think he's going to win just because the NL is very top-heavy in terms of that Cy Young race right now. Even with a bad outing last night, Walker Bueller's still the front runner. You got Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns. You can even throw Max Scherzer in there, even though he's been sidelined a little bit lately. But Adam Wainwright, ERA under three, top 10 in baseball, by the way. He's number nine right now with a 2.91 at the time we're recording this. Um, He leads baseball with three shutouts, uh, excuse me, three complete games, pardon me. Uh, One of those was a shutout. Uh, Pitched 176 innings. Whip is at 1.034. He's really excelled at pretty much every stage of the game. And considering at the stage of his career where he's at right now, you could not have asked for a better season for a guy who just kind of signed a one-year deal with the team in the offseason just to say, hey, let's bring back Adam Wainwright. He's a face of the franchise, fan favorite. Everybody loves him and Yachty together. It was almost, I don't want to say it was a PR move because he did have a very good 2020, but I doubt anybody expected the caliber of season Wainwright is having, and it's got to be an absolute pleasant surprise to a team that, for the most part this year, has seen mostly woes from their pitching staff, be it through injuries or underperformance. I mean, Adam Wainwright is practically a dinosaur in the MLB now. He's 40 years old, just turned 40 on August 30th. Happy delayed birthday, Adam Wainwright, by the way. Um, I mean, Yadier Molina already announced next year is going to be his last year. I hope Adam Wainwright comes back just so they can possibly break that um, battery record. So I'm going to go through that right now. Currently, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, they've thrown 300 games as a unit together. Mazel Tov. Um, they're fourth all-time. Number three all-time is Red Faber and Ray Schalk. They're at 306. They probably won't catch that this year because it's September already. Warren Spann and Del Crandall, 316. And at the top of the list is Mickey Lolick, or Lolich. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, and Bill Freed. Lolich again. Gotcha. And Bill, Bill Freehand at 324 starts. Again, this is only regular season we're talking about here. And again, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, 24 starts together away from making major league history. And I would love to see them get there. But Tony, do you expect this unit to be together next season? Do you honestly think Adam Wainwright will be pitching next season? I would honestly love to see it, and there's a part of me that thinks Wainwright will do it, because he hasn't shown, obviously he hasn't shown signs of regression, as made obvious through his 2021 campaign. Uh, there's a home run by Vlad Jr. Um, no, there isn't. <laughs> ah! <laughs> there's that mic peeking. Oh my god. <laughs> if you don't, if you... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody listening, if you have watched Charlie Brown in your life and you've seen him like a ug and with his face back, that was me right now. I fell back in my chair and screamed to the mountaintops. I hope my parents, because uh, I'm in the basement right now of my house and they're in the living room upstairs. I really hope they're not like uh, terrified of what's going on right now. But go go on, yeah, Tony. Nice Sorry play, about that. Nice little, nice little play-by-play there. No, you're good. You're good, but... I really think Wainwright would come back. Obviously, I have no connection to Adam Wainwright. I have no way of knowing what he's thinking, what he's planning. But at the same time, you've got to imagine that they're this close to the to the milestone. Wainwright loves St. Louis. St. Louis loves Wainwright. Everybody loves Wainwright. Everybody wants to see them do it. And as iconic as that Lowlich freehand, and by the way, 
rest in peace to the late Bill Freehand, one of the most underrated catchers in baseball history. Pay respects to him. Um, as much as everybody loves that tandem and how iconic that tandem is, to have to see Wayno and Yachty at the top of that list, I think would be really special for folks like to, honestly, Tom, like just for baseball fans like me and you who grew up watching Wayne Wright back in the Wayne Ryan Yachty back in the 2000s when we were younger, and here we are in our early 20s still watching them pitch. It's there's a part of it that's kind of surreal, but there's a big part of it that's really touching and heartwarming. And in a game like baseball, where you look at moments like that, and you look at tandems and players who just make you smile no matter what team you root for, like I, I can't even imagine a Cubs fan saying, you know, I hate I, I hate Adam Wainwright, he's a terrible player. Like as a rival, yes, like hell, as a Yankee fan growing up, I hated David Ortiz because he killed the Yankees, but I respect the hell out of him for what an amazing player yeah, he was. To. Like I don't. Like, I think it's impossible to not respect Adam Wainwright and Yachty and Molina at this point. Do they come back next year? I can't say for certain, but I'm willing to bet, pun intended, it's in the cards. <laughs> well, we know Yachty is... I, ha- I, <laughs> Go. I have to laugh to sheath... I have to laugh to sheath the pain of a 2 nothing Yankees deficit in the first inning, but continue, Tom. I, have, I wish I had a bottle of whiskey right now. I would down it. <laughs> Just... This early? Yeah, this early. It's 1 o'clock. It's 5 <laughs> o'clock somewhere. That's what uh, Jimmy Buffett said, I think, once or twice before. Um, yeah, Uncle Charlie and Yachty, we hope to see them back next year. I mean, the Cardinals will need starting pitching next year. I don't know if they'll be in contention next year. Um, quite honestly, that's too far to look ahead. Um, they do have some good pieces. They'll need pitching if they're going to try and make a playoff run or if they just want to bring Adam Wayne right back for an age 41 season, give him another year with Yachty. I mean, I think that would be ceremonious that they retire together and hopefully maybe one day get their jerseys retired together in um, at Bush Stadium. I think that would be a very nice touching gesture for the battery unit. Again, Yachty has one year left. Wainwright doesn't. We'll see what happens. As we get on to that, and we've got one more headline to go through this week, and that is the Dodgers and Giants series. This is going to be very interesting because they're the two winningest teams in baseball, I think, right now. I'm saying that, and I'm looking at baseball reference just to make sure I've got that right. Yeah, you're right. I am right. Tampa Bay does have the same win total as the Dodgers right now. Actually, the same record, but 87 and 86 wins, respectively, for the Giants and the Dodgers, and I guess the Rays, too. This past series for them almost felt like a World Series matchup, Tony. I think the intensity between the Dodgers and the Giants, first of all, it's always at an all-time high when those two are playing um there's always going to be eh, i don't know what i was really going to say but it's always intense when the dodgers and giants are in town either in la or san francisco this was a great series to watch oh beyond any <clears throat> beyond any doubt a bunch of close games that extra inning heartbreaker that um that excuse me up los angeles lost i don't know why that was so hard for me to say uh but especially in game one you would worry that would set the tone for the series but los angeles bounced back in game two taking it six to one and then as we kind of alluded to earlier an uncharacteristically bad start by walker bueller it's actually his first career loss against san francisco and it tumbled it it allowed the dodgers to tumble into second place which honestly I would say the series loss is the biggest one, but there's still only a game back. There's still plenty of baseball to play, and the Dodgers do face some inferior teams, which when you're the Dodgers, many teams are inferior teams. But you ask me, the biggest loss for the Dodgers this series was A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock's going to the I.L. He was one of their core outfielders on that team. It was guys like him, Chris Taylor was in there, and obviously Mookie Betts. Um, obviously you didn't, you didn't hear me say the name Cody Bellinger and that's because Cody Bellinger is having a, uh, 
let's let's say an insufferable year. He's got one. He's got negative one point two WAR after I, I was after like he sucked last year, but he was performing a lot better. He has more home runs last year than he does this year. He's got twelve last year, and he's got nine this year. Granted, he's only played seventy eight games, but he still had more at bats. He had two hundred forty three or played a few appearances rather he had 243 last year he had 301 this year holy shit cody bellinger you're not gonna get paid a lot of money go on tony mother of god i had no idea he was that bad i was trying to put it nicely too no there's no nice term to describe (laughs) cody bellinger's like ups and downs of his career you know he had a great rookie year people thought he stumbled the next year wins the mvp and then 2020 happened i'll give him a pass it wasn't the greatest year for a lot of people um especially around baseball or just in the world in general but 2021 you have no excuses dude like, you're batting 167, 243 on base percentage, nine home runs, I alluded to that, 32 RBIs. I don't know if he's just been, like, hurt this year or whatever, or, I I mean, I don't know, Tony. Like, it's Cody Bellinger, but... This would be... Go on. This would be an interesting topic just to dive into, because I... Cody Bellinger, obviously, two years ago, one of the most electrifying players in the entire sport. People were talking about him in the same breath as they were... Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, they, they figured, oh, he's going to be the next great face of the franchise for the Dodgers, but he's really stalled out. And the problem is they need him to go back to 2019, or at least like th- they shouldn't be expecting MVP play from him, because especially with this year, they should at least pl- expect replacement-level play for him, because as you alluded to, Tom, negative 1.2 war is abhorrent in and of itself, but for that to happen to a former MVP... I don't know how many times in baseball that's happened, but it can't be very often. And with AJ Pollock hitting the IL now on a hamstring strain, on an attempted steal of third base, by the way, when they were up 3-0 in the first, don't know why you're attempting that, which, I mean, I guess you can't have a big enough lead with a team like the uh, like the Giants, but it's definitely going to prove a costly loss. AJ Pollock, one of the most underrated players this year in baseball, truly a great season. And now they have to rely on an absolutely sputtering Cody Bellinger to anchor the fort in center field. You know, I'll stop talking about Cody Bellinger just for now. So that way, if for somehow he listens to this podcast, um, I'll give him some mercy for now, even though he absolutely just roasted the (laughs) out, dude. But um, yeah, Dodgers Giants series. I mean, I'm just looking at game by game. I remember game one. Um, of the series, it was that I believe it was an extra innings game that um, you were talking about, and yep. they lose that. The, the one you mean the game where Trey Turner became everybody's favorite Dodgers player? Exactly. I mean, he's getting it done with the bat, <laughs> but he can't get it done with glove. Easy ground ball. Buster Posey, for fuck's sake, is running the first base, and he misthrows it to Max Muncie at first. He threw it high. Max Muncie. Reached his glove out, but he took his foot off the base, and he was safe at first. And that's how the Giants won it that day. That just had the makings, and I think it almost like resonates as almost like a playoff moment, it felt like. But go on, Tony. You had something to say. Yes, really quick. This is off topic, but this is actually breaking news while we're recording this. Ooh. I alluded to earlier when talking about the Rays that Wander Franco was one game away of getting on base for tying Mickey Mantle. He just did it. Hey! The Rays are playing the Red Sox right now. Wander Franco reached base. I don't exactly know how, but MLB Stats, credit them, just tweeted out that Wander tied Mickey Mantle. They both reached base 36 consecutive times uh, as a 20-year-old or younger. The next man up, legendary Frank Robinson, who did it 43 times. I wonder if he's actually going to hit that. 
I mean, it's Juan DeFranco, so he obviously can. I think he's living up to the hype that was definitely down in the minor leagues with him. Um, Ronder Franco, he tripled to deep center, it says here, on a forcing fastball. He tripled to deep center field. It looks like right center. I'm looking at ESPN right now, so I I can't see the play happening. But, yeah, congratulations to Wander Franco. We're probably going to be talking about him a lot more in this podcast. Um, At some point, whenever we have a raise discussion, he'll definitely be somebody we discuss. So, yeah, congratulations to him for tying. It's tying Mickey Mantle, right, with 36, I think it is? Correct. Okay, yeah, so congrats to him. Let's get back to the Dodgers-Giants. Yeah, Trey Turner's error. That was an ouchie, don't you say, Tony? Uh, Just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. Turner, obviously a great acquisition for the Dodgers. Gives them even more infield depth than they already have. Hell, they were playing Mookie Betts at second for a couple of couple of starts back there before they traded for him. And that's just not what you want to see. Trey Turner normally is a at least a serviceable defender at short, but obviously Corey Seager's helming the forward at short. I did not expect that to rhyme. Uh, so they got to play Turner at second, a position where he's not at, uh, not at all accustomed. I don't want to say not at all accustomed to, but not very accustomed to. And like you said, Tom, it was a routine ground ball. It wasn't even a tough play. Turner scoops it up, plants his foot, gets the throw off. It pulls Muncie, the first baseman, off ever so slightly, and it allows Buster Posey to reach and for the Giants to win the game. If that out is made, the inning's over, and they go to um, another inning of wonderful Manfred-era extra innings baseball. But it's, 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 a shame. it's a shame they lost game one like that, but they responded very well in game two. And Game 3, even though Walker Buehler didn't have the best game, it was still close. They only lost by two runs. The Dodgers, I still think, are, even though the Giants have a better record than them, I feel like the Dodgers on paper are still the team to beat. I will give San Francisco all the credit they deserve. Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those people who thinks that they're a fluke, they're fake, they're this, they're that, the other thing. The numbers don't say that. But you can't possibly look at a team with Mookie Betts and Corey Seager, Justin Turner, and Will Smith. By the way, one of the most underrated hitters in baseball right now, Will Smith. Shout out to my fantasy baseball catcher. Um, you can't look at an offense like that and think, oh, they're just a second-place team at best. No. The Dodgers are playing like a World Series contender, and they clearly are. Again, they've got the better team on paper. I agree with you there. The, I mean, the Giants, you look at them at the beginning of the year, and you don't expect these things to happen, but sometimes they just work out. And if you've got a great franchise like the San Francisco Giants, you can develop those players or just say, hey, we want you to do this, and a player will respond by doing that if they know it'll work. And I also got to give a shout out to Gabe Kapler. I believe he's the manager of the San Francisco Giants. I did not think he was the right man for the job. I thought somebody um, else should have gotten the job. I probably discussed it on Badger's Box a while back when that was announced, but I forget who were even the um, candidates. But that doesn't even matter. Credit to Gabe Kapler. He should be winning NL Manager of the Year for sure. Um, Just going again through box score, Dodgers second game against Giants, 6-1 win. Julio Urias picked up his 16th win of the year. He's now 16-3 on the year. Shout out to him. He pitched five two-thirds innings. Gave up eight hits, only one earned run. It struck out eight, and then the Dodgers at that point had scored plenty of runs in the Dodgers and the uh, Giants didn't come back. And then last night, as you were saying, Walker Bueller, um, he did not pitch so well on Marvel Day out in San Francisco. Um, they got to Bueller, who I think is the front runner for the Cy Young. So I was a little bit shocked. Just seeing that, I mean, San Francisco, they scored six runs in the first three innings. That's all they scored throughout the game. The Dodgers mounted a little bit of a comeback in the ninth. But Walker Buehler did not make it out of the third, or he made it out the third inning, but he didn't return in the game. So I'm just, 
I think this goes to show that the Giants' bats, for as much as they, again, might not seem great on paper, they've outperformed themselves this year by plenty of what people expected out of them. And they got done against probably who's going to win the Cy Young. You're right. I mean, the best way to describe that Giants team as unimpressive as they look on paper, they're sneaky. Like, they're they're not going to hit you with superstar after superstar. They don't have a Mookie Betts. They don't have a, you know, why can't I think of a name right now? I wanted to say Christian Yelich. Oh, but... we know what his trajectory has gone <laughs> the past two years. I mean, we could say a Cody Bellinger yeah. because those two are along the same right. path, Yelich and Bellinger, although Yelich is actually hidden decently. But yeah, but yeah. N- nevertheless, they don't have that superstar power. They don't have that one guy, but they'll hit you with like one day. It'll be a Mike Yastrzemski. The next day it'll be an Alex Dickerson or a Wilmer Flores or an Evan Longoria. If he could stay healthy, Buster Posey. Yeah, they do have a Chris Bryant though. So I will say they do have that superstar, but he's not like an A plus superstar. Like we all thought he would. I be. was going to say, that's the thing. He's not in like 2016 MVP form. Still a great player. Still one of the best. Oh, yeah. uh, I honestly think just best all-around players in baseball because you could stick him third base, center field, wherever, be an effective defenseman and be an effective bat. He's meshed really well with that Giants lineup. He's not like like we both said, not been a burgeoning bat in the lineup. He's not like the guy you circle. But if anything, I think what's more of a compliment to the Giants, you got to circle that entire lineup because you never know which one of them is going to beat you. You don't know who, but you know one of them might. All of them have the potential to. All, That's what scares me most about them. Also, their bullpen is scary good. Shout out to Tyler. I believe oh. it's Tyler Rogers. There's Taylor and Tyler. I believe it's yep. Tyler. He's that submarine thrower. If you know who Chad Bradford was from Moneyball, if you've seen that movie, um, and you haven't seen Tyler Rogers pitch, do it. Check out Pitching Ninja. He does a lot of stuff on Tyler Rogers all the time because he calls it this like UFO fastball or slider that like rises from like two inches above the ground because of where he releases it, and it ends up at the batter's head, and they're swinging at strike three because you think that's a strike. Tyler Rogers, I think, probably one of the best relievers in baseball this year, um, certainly, but don't cr- don't count out the Giants' bullpen either when we talk about them. Now, we'll talk about a little bit more about how we think the division will play out, how playoff standings will get out in just a little bit, and we'll talk about the Dodgers and Giants then. But that's it for major headlines right now. Tony, we said that we have two trivia questions prepped. I've got one. You had two. Or, f- I fucked that up. Tony had the first trivia segment. I've got the second trivia segment. Tony, are you ready for some more trivia? I am. Go ahead and hit me with it. I, I, was, a, I was a jerk to you in that first one. So, go right ahead. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, here's my trivia question of the week. So, on Saturday, September 4th, it was the 28th anniversary of Jim Abbott's legendary no-hitter against the Cleveland Indians back in 1993. To celebrate, the Yankees decided to get no-hit by the Baltimore Orioles for six innings and wound up losing that game. Again, that last part isn't important. I just wanted to remind everyone of the Yankees' shame and the shame that we also talked about earlier. At any rate, Tony? In case we haven't done that. No, we haven't mm-hmm. done that. Of course not. Um, why would we shame the Yankees for dropping two out of three against the Baltimore Orioles? Why Why the hell not? At any rate, that series isn't important. Tony, we know he gave up no hits that day, Jim Abbott, but I wanted to test your knowledge on three elements of his box score that day. How many strikeouts and walks did he have, and how many pitches did he throw? I no longer feel bad about my 2008 Marlins question. <laughs> I, I feel no remorse, Tom. I feel nothing. I... I couldn't even tell you he did it against the Indians. I, oh God. Okay. 
Oh god. All right. So it's a no hitter. He obviously gave up at least one walk. I. Why do I want to say it was one walk? I'll say it was one walk. Oh yeah. Keep going. I want to hear the rest of your guesses before I'll give you a oh, hot cold. Oh, I don't. Get- I don't get benchmarks. Okay, so one oh. walk, and what else do I need? The strikeouts and the number number of pitches I need? Mm-hmm. Number of pitches and strikeouts. Oh, mother of Christ. And this was in the 90s, so he could have thrown like 130 pitches. I'll give you I'll give you that. You're, okay. It's under 130. It's over 100, it's, less than 130. Okay. Still going to be a total shot in the dark, but thank you for shortening that window. Um, I'll throw out a complete ballpark guess. Pun intended, of course. Complete shot in the dark answer. This is co- going to come out of left field. I'll stop with the puns, I swear to God. 119, and the number of strikeouts is 7. 7-1 seven, and 119. So you got the number of pitches spot on. It was 119. Wait, I got the pitches? Yeah, you got that. <laughs> oh my God, are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. He threw 119 <laughs> pitches that day. Of course. I, the- I swear... Swear to Christ, baseball reference not open. I, I swear before God. <laughs> yeah, um, I saw, I saw your face light up. I thought, I thought that was like, oh wow, you were close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that, dude. The last of which, of course, now goes down in memory as the soft grounder to Randy Velarde at a short and fired it over to Don Mangley uh, before the cell ring began. And how many strikeouts mm-hmm. did you say? I know you said one walk. One walk, and I said seven strikeouts. Okay. So you're wrong on those two numbers. I will give you one more guess at them. I know, again, we said this would be a 30-second like answer segment, but he... I, I, st- I still will not care. I got the pitches right. You got the right. pitches right. I'm honestly more shocked you got that right than the walks and the strikeouts. Because there's at least a right. set number that should happen. So you're yeah. wrong with the walks. You need to go higher. You also need to go lower with the strikeouts. And by the way, he had more walks than strikeouts this day. Okay. Um... I did figure it had to be more walks, because if it was less, it'd be a perfect game. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to guess, he had more walks than strikeouts. Okay. This might be... What am I talking about? This is going to be wrong. But, I'm going to say, since he had more walks than strikeouts, I'm going to say he walked... I know it's not like A.J. Burnett levels, where he walked like nine, because I probably would have heard of it. So, I'll say he walked six, and he struck out four. or th- No, no, struck out three. Okay. So you're wrong with the walks. He struck. He walked five people, so you were just off. But you did get the three okay. strikeouts right. So congratulations to you, Tom. Hey, okay. You got that number right. Now I will still, I'll still wear the pitches like a badge of honor, though. That's going to be... I could get every trivia question wrong from here on out for the rest of the season, for the rest of the podcast, and I will take that. Now I'll, <laughs> I'll give you ten seconds to come up with the three people that he struck out that day. 10 seconds. Mother of God. <laughs> there are three different wait, people. Hang on, wait, wait. Three different people, 1993 Indians go. F- 93 Indians. Okay, uh, Kenny Lofton? Well, name your three. Joe Carter. Oh, uh, I don't know. Kenny Lofton, Joe Carter, and... 93. I don't think Tommy was on the team yet. Was Fred McGriff on... No. Uh, okay, Jim Tommy. So, Tom. I know it's wrong. Yeah, Tommy was on the team. I don't think... I don't think Joe Carter was on the team. I'll go on baseball reference. I... He, he might have just been in the 80s. He might have been traded for Sandy Alomar by then. Actually, wait, can I guess Sandy Alomar instead if he wasn't on the Yeah, team? You, you can guess him instead. By the way, Joe Carter was with Toronto at that time. Um, That was the year, I believe, they won wait. the World Series. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. the year they won the World Series. Oh, that's the year he hit the walk-off home run. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, yeah, no. I'm stupid. So, you, I believe you were wrong on every single one of them. So, in order, okay, they were cool. all swinging strikeouts. <laughs> he struck out Albert Bell, 
That oh, okay. this one you probably won't get. Candy Maldonado. I had no idea who he was until last night. And one of those strikeouts was to a rookie at the time named Manny Ramirez. He was pretty. He turned out pretty all right, didn't he? Turned out pretty all right until until the uh, roids kicked in. He had a little. He had a little help, but oh my god! You know, I I can't believe I guessed Joe Carter the same year he walked off the World Series of the Blue Jays. (laughs) He played for the Indians in like the eighties, I think. Yeah. Damn. Listen, we all have our moments. I'm trying to figure out because he Mm -hmm. he played 22 games only that year, so I'm trying to figure out what Ramirez. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure out what game exactly that was in his career that this happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, what? This was his third game in his career, and he got a... And that was the no-hitter oh. day. His third game in his career was that no-hitter day. Well, he's already a part of baseball history in his third-ever Major League game. He could always take solace in that. Ex- it's, not, it's not like that's the biggest blemish on his career anyway. No, not at all. But, at any rate... <laughs> That does it for trivia for the day. We've got plenty more to talk about. Um, also, I wanted to point out that I we all thought, me and Tony thought, that this would be like a one-hour podcast. We timed stuff out on the rundown, and I'm looking at the recording right now. We didn't start exactly at the beginning, but it's an hour and 38 minutes on this uh, <laughs> recording right now. Um, so I wonder how much this is going to see the light of day. I have no idea how much there is because there's definitely some bloopers that we have to edit out um, of around the horn and then edit in some stuff. But oh boy! Oh, please save those bloopers. Oh, I'm, oh, don't worry, them. I'll save them. Well, maybe we'll post them on social media. I don't know. We don't have a social account, by the way, yet, so we're not going to plug that uh, quite <laughs> yet. Um, let's move on to another segment where we're going to go back and forth a lot more. We're not going to be as analytical with these teams. We're going to go back and forth and kind of give some playoff predictions almost of what we think the playoffs will be like it's called pickoffs and that is a segment again where we just go back and forth what's going to happen who's in who's out that's what this segment's all about <laughs> that rhymed let's go pickoff time all right it is pickoff time <clears throat> so like tom said for this particular segment who's in and who's out for the 2021 mlb playoffs because we have some teams we know they're gonna be in Tampa Bay Rays, they're making it. Yep. San Francisco Giants, they're making it. Milwaukee Brewers would be shocked if they missed the dance. But, Tom, in particular, let's look at some wild card races first before we look at some of the divisions. Excellent. I think, like you were saying, the divisions are pretty much sorted out by now. Maybe the NL East, you got some making up to do. The NL West, particularly, those two are probably going to be the most contentious for the division title going forward. But the wild card races, I mean, you, you can talk about it for a little bit. They're going to be tight. I mean, what what possible matchups do we have for the wild card that could happen? We have a ton. At least, I'm looking at the American League right now. There are, I would say, five teams in contention right now. Five teams who I could realistically see playing baseball in October. That, those being the Yankees, Ha, the Red Sox, who are absolutely crushing Tampa Bay right now, by the way. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, never thought I'd say that. The Toronto Blue Jays, didn't think I'd be saying that so soon. And somehow still, the Oakland A's. So... Those are my five teams I think could make it. You still have Cleveland that's eight, uh, yeah, eight and a half games nope, back. Throw, throw them out the window. But, We're not talking about Cleveland. <laughs> We're not talking about Cleveland. Yeah. See you next season. They're the only other, only other AL team with a single-digit games back metric. But, Tom, I want to throw it to you first because since we're probably going to be unanimously working with these five teams – what scenario do you think you'll see? Maybe not even like what do you like what do you want to happen? Like what could you see happening? 
Well, I'm glad you really phrased it. What can I see happening? Because what I want to happen is not going to happen the way the Yankees are playing right now. Your most likely scenario, your two hottest teams, I think right now, are Seattle and the Blue Jays. That's out of the five we mentioned. The A's, see you later. You're not, you're not coming back this season. You are not, you're not playing well right now. I think their schedule does not favor them, really. I'll even pull it up real quickly just to confirm my suspicions. Yeah, so they've got Chicago, Texas, Kansas City, Angels, Mariners, Houston, Mariners, Houston. So that last stretch, that's really going to be the deciding factor in the AL West about who's actually going to be in battle. But if those two are splitting, Seattle and, well, first of all, Oakland, again, we're going to say they're gone. But this more applies to Seattle now. If they're going to be splitting that Oakland series down the half, that's really going to hurt them going forward. But I think they've got enough momentum to make a push. But the scenario I see happening right now, I believe there are going to be two American East teams in the AL wildcard game. The first is going to be the Boston Red Sox. They're finally playing like they have for the majority of the season. They're playing well. Alex Cora's on their side. He's a fantastic manager, I hate to admit it. And he knows how to get it done. And they have a good enough team to do it. I'm going to throw the Blue Jays as the second team that makes the American League wild card. I hate to admit it. I hate to to X the Yankees out. But, I mean, Tony, are you? do you think this could happen, the Blue Jays? They're, they're just playing so well. And I always give the team that's playing well going into September the advantage over the team that's not. Because ultimately, that team is going to do well. And by past history, they're going to do well in the playoffs. I absolutely am with you on that. Like, I, I was someone who was saying, like, my hot takes for the year, going into the year, they were both American League related. One was that Cleveland would finish in fourth, which that's played over very well. And my second is that Toronto has a legitimate shot, probably not at the division title, but I think to usurp one, if not both, of the Yankees or Red Sox. And that one I still don't think is out the window, especially like you said, the way they've been playing lately. They've been playing some firebrand baseball right now, from what I like to call it. Baseball that you can't really describe. I mean, you can describe it with statistics to really uh, quantify how good they are. Obviously, you can throw out the MVP-type season of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the continued breakout of Obashev, the ever-underrated Hyunjin Ryu, but you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, and like you said, I could definitely see that hot hand riding them straight into the playoffs. Obviously, we still have all of September to go through, and they have struggled with consistency in the past. Not every piece clicks at the same time, but right now, this is one of those rare moments where they're both clicking at the same time. So, just throwing in my two cents on the matter, because we do want to move on to the National League wildcard as well. I'm actually going to share your sentiment about the Blue Jays, even though I do think we have an entire month to go. They seem to have, I don't want to say completely ironed out their bullpen, but they at least have a reliable enough closer in Jordan Romano. They did DFA Brad Hand, which honestly I think needed to be done. Oh, by the way, he got picked up by the Mets, by the way. I just wanted to throw that out there. I forgot to include that in the Mets segment. (laughs) Has he even pitched for them yet? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't even know, but I just thought it was funny with the disaster going on. They're like, yeah, we're going to solve our problems with Brad Hand, the most unclutch pitcher this year in ball baseball from a reliever standpoint, (laughs) maybe outside of a role to Chapman. Um Oh, yeah, he exists. So that was fun. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tony. <laughs> ah, no worries. Anyway, Toronto, I can see locking down the Ford of that first. Uh, maybe Okay, maybe not first wildcard spot, but probably the second, all things considered. 
it's that other wildcard spot that's eluding me. I've learned in my day not to trust the Mariners. Like, I was not old enough to watch that 2001 Mariners squad. I don't remember a thing about it from me personally watching it. So my entire life, I've pretty much been groomed to think, all right, don't trust the Mariners. Mm -hmm. Granted, if they prove me wrong, good. Tom, I think even you said it earlier, like, if they actually break that curse, make the playoffs, by all means, good for them. I have nothing personal against the Mariners. I just have known in my time on this earth as retrospectively short, uh, excuse me, relatively short as it's been, I don't trust the Mariners. Give me a reason to trust you, uh, Seattle, and then maybe I'll believe in you. Uh, Oakland, I'm going to disregard, but that bullpen and the way they're trending right now, I don't see Starling Marte medals and carrying them to the playoffs, as painful as that is for me to say. I love both those players so, so much. So it's a toss-up between Boston and New York. Off your mind Tom, right now, who, just right now, who on your mind, who has your, well, I know who has your heart right now, some they might be pulling your heart, your uh, strings like a little bit. They, but. they might be th- driving a stake through it right now. But you know what, Tom? I think I'm going to go kind of iconoclast. I think the Yankees turn it around. Mm. And you could call me biased all you want. Like, by all means, call me biased. But I'll say this. Both teams seem to be operating on something of a scale right now. When the Yankees are good, the Red Sox seem to struggle. When the Red Sox struggle, the Yankees seem to do better. I'm not going to count on scales like that down the stretch because baseball is a very unpredictable sport. All sports are unpredictable. So when it comes to the Yankees, my mindset is they were struggling like hell going into the All-Star break. And then they somehow turned it around and won 12 straight games like it was nothing. Mm -hmm. And while they were doing that, the Red Sox were busy blowing their entire season up. Albeit Red Sox have gotten better. Kyle Schwarber's performing for them. Bobby Dahlbeck finally figured out how to hit consistently. And J.D. Martinez is out of that slump he was mired in for a while, which thank goodness, I love J.D. Martinez. So it comes down to, mainly, I would say if it comes down to the pitching staff, I it's hard to say I trust one more because I really don't trust either of them very much. Because on the Red Sox, you got Nick Pavetta. On the Yankees, you've got Andrew Heaney. you got guys you really look at and go, ugh, oh, that's keep, really the best you keep got. Keep in mind, Pavetta's out for the next 10 days, at the very least, by the way, because of COVID. That's also true. If anything, I hate to say it, that might be more of a blessing to the Red Sox than anything. Nothing against Nick Pavetta other than his pitching. But... I'm going to just, sh- maybe maybe it's a shot in the dark, maybe it's a hopeless cause, but I think the Yankees can find a way to, if not turn it completely around, level the ship, if that makes any sense. Like, bring things to order and at least secure a second wildcard spot. So I'm going Yankees-Blue Jays. Might be a bit iconoclast, but I don't care. That ought to be a fun wildcard game, if nothing else. You know, I didn't think the Blue Jays would be the team we would agree on about who's going to be that definite uh, wildcard spot. But, I mean, Yankees, right? we're... Favoring the AL East today, I guess it is. You've got confidence in the Yankees. I have zero confidence in the Yankees. So that hey, I never said I have confidence in them. I just think they're better compared to the Red Sox. Well, that's fair. Now, let's jump into the NL wild card before we start to wrap this one up. Um, I know we yep. may have alluded to divisions and stuff like that. Later episodes of Diamond Duo, we'll be doing it. We've been recording a while. Let's just take care of the NL wild card. <laughs> And then we will start right. to call it a day because I think these are the more intriguing races right now. Close to playoff time, we'll give playoff predictions and stuff like that. But again, we know it's going to be LA or San Francisco in the wild card game. That's a guarantee. That's a shoe in. They both have 87 and 86 wins. San Francisco has the one more win over the Dodgers. Who's that second wild card? It's going to be Cincinnati, San Diego, St. Louis, Philly, or even the New York Mets. Those are the teams with the most likely odds of doing it. And I think just going down the um, NL wildcard race, those are the top five teams in contention, pretty much in order, switching San Diego and Cincy. But, Tony, who do you see 
getting that second wild card spot. So in all, in pretty much, let's say like seventy scenarios out of a hundred, Cincinnati Reds are going to make the playoffs because yeah. you got that easy schedule. You have those hitters like Joey Votto and Nick Castellanos who could turn on the burners like that and become just the hottest hitters on earth. And Luis Castillo's turned it around. He's back to being, I damn say, near an ace. But I'm not one to take the easy way out. I know this is going to be wrong. And I really, I'm not saying this is like, this is my prediction. Because if if you were to ask me, I think if you'd ask both of us, we'd both say Cincinnati. I think it's an easy enough pick. I'm just just telling you right now, Tony, you're scaring me. I don't know who who you're going to pick, but you're scaring me. I'm not saying the Mets. Okay, good. It's not not the Mets. Mets. That's good. (laughs) But you're still scaring me a little no. bit. I don't know who you're going to pick. So <laughs> keep scaring me a little bit more. Gonna, if you want to drag it out a little bit, I, feel free to do so. I, I'm probably not going to drag it out that much more just because, like you said, time. But I'm going to go Iconoclast and say the Phillies. You said the Phillies? I'm saying the Phillies. The now, Philadelphia you better give me an explanation for this because I am going to be in 100% disagreeance with you. Go ahead. I never said this was my prediction. I said I wanted to go Iconoclast and tell you like what I could see happening. And you know what? There's one weird scenario where I see the Phillies actually squeaking into that second wild card spot because let's just say the San Diego Padres continue to struggle down the stretch with that tough schedule. Because honestly, if the Padres actually do overcome that, make the playoffs, and somehow ward off the Giants and or the Dodgers good for them i love the padres i would love to see them go on a deep postseason run with that kind of momentum but i don't know i feel like everyone's gonna say the padres i want to say something different and i'm not gonna say the mets because no they're like the mariners at this point i'm not trusting them mm-hmm. right so, so i'm gonna go with a scenario in which the philadelphia phillies ride the red hot bat of bryce harper again not nearly talked about as much the man's got a 170 ops plus are you kidding me ridiculous he's the highest He's got the man with the highest OPS not at 1,000. He has a 998 OPS trailing only Vlad Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. You've got Gene Segura, who all things considered is pretty underrated this year. He has a 115 OPS plus, plays all around the infield, which is good considering how much guys like Didi Gregorius have struggled. Andrew McCutcheon has high key turned his season around. He has a he has a 113 OPS plus. Okay. Abdul Herrera, while not a burgeoning bat in that lineup, has been very serviceable in that leadoff spot, which has been a spot the, the Phillies were very questionable about going into the year. They thought about leading off JT Romuto, which, by the way, they also have JT Romuto, who I still think is the best all-around catcher in the sport. Fair enough. Yes, they lost Reese. Yes, they lost Reese Hoskins for the year. Yes, that's going to hurt them a lot because he was hitting very well when he went down. And yes, the pitching has started to look a little more suspect. Zach Wheeler went from Cy Young frontrunner to Cy Young long shot. Aaron Nola has been hit and missed the entire year. And with the injuries to Zach Eflin and Vince Velasquez, you now have to look at Matt Moore again. But remember, I never said the Phillies are going to make it far in the playoffs. I say I see a weird scenario in which they just make it to the wild card and get absolutely trounced by the Dodgers or Giants. I don't think they go anywhere further. Honestly, I don't think any team here goes further than the wild card. It's going to be either San Fran or the Dodgers. But that's my weird scenario where the Phillies ride their schedule. I think it's actually a pretty modest one. Yeah, it's not I've, terrible. Yeah, I've got that actually pulled up. I was going to mention that. Like, I think we were talking about how they, they get Baltimore. Yeah, they get Pittsburgh. They get Colorado at home, not even at Coors, which Colorado on the road. Tom, you talked about earlier. It's basically a free win. Yeah. And yeah. And they also get they also get the Mets for a weekend series and the Mets can't play against the NL East. But I keep interrupting you. Please continue. Yeah, I was just going to say the order of the schedule. It's Brewers. 
Rockies, Cubs, Mets, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Miami. That's a really easy stretch of the season. Granted, I have no confidence in the Phillies just because of how like strenuous their bullpen can be from time to time. They made it better, but it's a weird scenario. But they've got the schedule to get it done. That's the weird thing. See, I'm not that crazy. I'm only a little bit crazy. I, to me, this makes honestly this makes more sense than the Mets making it, and possi- possibly more than the Cardinals. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'd see. I still think the Phillies are in it. I don't think they're going to be like the front runner. Obviously, that's the Reds. But Tom, I want to hear your picks. If you're going to go with the safe bet, or you're going to go with a fun bet like me. Well, I <laughs> I thought my fun bet was saying Toronto and Boston, just to say f you to the Yankees. I mean, my. <sighs> I'm, I'm saying that futile. I continue. Saying to a lot of teams. Um, looking at the teams, the Mets, as much as they are hot going forward, I don't think that will carry. They're the Mets. I don't think their success will be for no. much long. The Cardinals, I think, is a fun pick, um, but I don't think they have as much talent as some of the other teams that are ahead of them. Well, actually, there's only two teams ahead of them. That would be or three teams. Excuse me. I'm forgetting about the San Diego Padres. I completely forgot about them for a minute. But yeah, they they're not as talented as some teams. Philly, I'm going to eliminate. Their schedule is great, but they're also Philly. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's it's just not going to work out. Granted, they're only. Oh, and but by the way, but by the way, I hate to interrupt uh, you. They're currently up three nothing against the Brewers. Yeah, I don't. Oh, Philly. Don't is. call it a comeback. Okay, I th- Philly's up. I thought you were going to give me some more shit about the Yankees. They're still down two nothing. Oh no, the Phillies are winning, so my prediction still iffy. Continue. <laughs> All right, cool. So that leaves us with San Diego and Cincy, and I'm going to take the safer. I'm just going to go Cincinnati. Like they've got 15, 59.5% shot making the playoffs. I believe they've got, again, like you said, whoever makes the second wild card, I do not foresee them winning that wild card game. It's mo- more than likely going to be the Dodgers or the Giants that actually wins that game. And that that's, again, the safe pick. But I think their schedule is too safe right now, the Reds. I mean, they we we did the math. They should win at least 13 games down the stretch. I would take them to 86, and that would probably clinch them that spot. Some other teams are going to reel, like going down the stretch. If they win at least 13 games, if they win those 13 games, great. If they somehow get past the Dodgers and all of them um, that are left in their schedule, then that's even better. Again, the Cincinnati Reds team, they're not as good as the Padres against teams over 500. Again, the Padres 37-30, the Reds 36-43. and So definitely not good, um, or not as good with teams over 500, but it's just too easy of a schedule. They've got a good enough squad to get it done. Their offense especially can get it done. Their bullpen is not good. The rotation is okay. It's that it's gonna be that offense that gets it done. They've got Nick Castellano sending shots into deep left field. They've got Winker when he comes back, he's hitting over three hundred on the year. Vado can turn into anything. India's the rookie of the year. I think they're too talented. And their schedule's way too easy to not get that second wild card. So I'm gonna say for shits and giggles, I'll say Dodgers, Cincinnati. Dodgers are gonna be winning that game. All right. I think that's a very respectable pick. Um definitely more likely than the Phillies. <laughs> I mean, listen. Hey, I give you. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt for like going with the fun pick. I don't think that's going to happen at all. But at least made me believe it for a split second that oh, you know what, this could happen. It probably won't, but this could happen. Yeah. Like, why not? To be fair, though, what's the one thing you got to remember about baseball? Don't always expect like the surefire scenario because think back to 2011, Game 162. 
how many different ways could that day have gone? Like, again, I'm not saying this is like, oh, the Phillies are going to make the playoffs. They're going to win the World Series with the best team in the National League. Again, the Phillies are a very broken team. Albeit they have a better bullpen than the Reds, and which, eh. I say that only because they have one surefire closer in Ian Kennedy. That's literally the only reason. Other than that, they're both pretty bad in that department, but. Yes. I think that's a good enough reason. I don't know. All right. Well, I think we've been picking each other off back and forth, maybe getting in the pickle a little bit, just because some of us chose the Phillies to be that second wild card spot. But you know what? <laughs> I could be eating my words by the end of September, and then I will bow down on my knees, like, do that thing like you did in ancient Egypt, all hail Tony for getting that right. All all hail Harper. And by the way, quick note about that, the Phillies are actually closer to the NL East title than they are the wild card, so they could actually make the postseason like that, and that, I'll still count that as a victory for me. That is fair. We are not considering that... We are not considering that the Braves are actually not, like, don't have, like, a huge grasp on the NL East. It's only two games. They're, they're two games up, yeah. So, if any, they'll actually win the division before they even think about the wild card, so... Technically, I'm wrong, but technically, I'm also right, because that means they make the postseason. That's true. But <laughs> we, we can do scenarios about the Braves and stuff all day. We've been recording okay. for a total of two hours and 43 minutes. I think it, I think it's time to go to the bullpen. <laughs> Call in the closer. So the clo- And dear God, don't let his name be Aroldis Chapman. Yes, don't let it be Aroldis Chapman. The closer is essentially one minute. Well, not one minute. It'll probably be longer than that. We thought, listen, we wrote down this rundown for one hour, and we've been going a lot longer than that. So I'm not even going to dis. I'm not even going to say one minute. It's just going to be each of us are going to do a hot taker. We're going to be listing some storylines that we think could take precedence over the next week, or just something that we saw in the past week of baseball, or even a little bit outside baseball that we'd like to chime in on. Tony, I think you already know what I'm going to do. Um. <laughs> But I think that's a better way to end the show. I don't know what you have planned, but I'm going to throw it to you. I want to see what you have for your first closer. So, my first closer. I do know what yours is going to be, and I'm very excited about it because it's the one part of the show I knew for certain coming in, and I do agree with you. It's definitely the best way to close it off. If you couldn't tell I'm stalling, that's because I am, because I actually can't find the article I was going to use. Oh, this is boo. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'll talk about this. I'll talk about this well, because what, it was over social. Well, what was what? the article about? Like you, really- the article. I swear to God, I saw this because this this sounds like a pipe dream. This I don't know if you heard about this, but apparently for the New York Yankees, there was who was it? It was like a substitute teacher that got like signed by the Yankees. Oh, for, you're like, talking about like, Stephen Ridings, I think. You did hear about that. I wanted to look more into that, and I wanted to use that as my as my closer, and I couldn't find. I don't it. even think he's on the big league roster anymore. He was killing it though. No, when he was up in he, the Bronx though. That's what I'm saying. I wanted to talk about, like, oh, it's his 15 minutes of fame. It's his, you know, it's his, like, shining moment in the spotlight. And it, Kyle Gashioka had a, gr- a great quote about that. He said something like, oh, how many substitute teachers do you know can throw 100 miles an hour? Got to laugh out of the beat reporters that were talking to him. I mean, him. I think what you just said was maybe his exact quote. I It, it was a good quote. It was a really good yeah. quote. But, um, so what was, what, what's your diversion plan? What was your plan B that you were um, talking about? Or was so, that your plan B? I mean, that was my plan A. To be fair, my plan B is something I just pulled from the Yankees news segment right now because this is going around social media a while. Um, it surrounds uh, longtime Yankees radio broadcaster John Sterling and the Spanish broadcaster of the Yankees, uh, Ricky Ricardo. And in case you hadn't heard the story, Hurricane Ida struck the northeast part of the United States this past week, brought a lot of flooding to New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, 
bunch of the Northeast region. Very bad storm for many people. My heart goes out to folks who are still being affected, uh, be it with power or with uh, uh, damage to their homes and property. And we also want to send a... um, But we would also like to pay our respects to people that did pass away in the storm and that did die because of the immense flooding that hit New York. It was the first flash flood emergency that was ever in the city, at least. I know I had to go into work the next day. I was able to get in okay, but, I mean, the people who couldn't even see the next day, that is just incredibly, like difficult to see on the news so our condolences go out to them our hearts go out but uh john sterling the radio voice of the yankees was actually affected by the flooding in one pretty unique way he was in his car he was in amidst the pounding rain uh the 83 year old broadcaster's car started to flood in new jersey and as luck would have it thank thank god for this like i said the spanish radio voice of the yankees ricky ricardo of wfan actually caught on, got in his car, drove out to where Sterling was on the word of Susan Waldman, who is the color broadcaster to uh, John Sterling, again, longtime Yankee broadcaster. Ricardo got in his car, went to where Sterling was, and got him out of his car, saving his life. So you may have heard that in the news, especially if you're a fan of the Yankees or the Mets, or if you just live in the tri-state area. If you haven't heard the story, I just thought it was a really good, feel-good, upbeat story to end on for how much we did on teams this week, especially the Yankees. Let's talk about something good with the Yankees, and that's just some good old-fashioned humanity, wholesome humanity that you like to see. Big props to Ricky Ricardo for what he did. John Sterling, like I said, he was 83 years old and his car was flooding. Could have ended very, very badly. We're glad to see Sterling doing okay. We're very happy to see what Ricky Ricardo could have done. And also shout out to Susan Waltman for telling Ricardo what was going down. So that's my closer. Something upbeat. Probably won't be the same next week. Yeah, we definitely got to commend them. And then I believe Ricky Ricardo was telling WFAN maybe the next day or something like that, that it took him almost an hour. Because they, he and Sterling live relatively close to each other. I think like 10 minutes from each other or something like that. It took from where John was picked up that uh, Ricky got him. It took them an hour just to drive down the block because they had to figure out a way to get to the block that they need to get to because there was like 10 different routes or something, some crazy number that were flooded and they had to be kept telling by pol- kept being told by police, hey, you got to go a different way. This road is closed. So we're happy they all made it out okay and that they're all in the booth, probably on the Yankees right now. All right, here's a real good closer for you. So I believe her name is Jess Castellanos. It's Nick Castellanos' wife. Right. And she takes to Twitter this week to complain. Yeah, it's a good idea to start complaining on Twitter. That's always a good uh, thing to do, especially about internet culture, such as Nick Cassianos' deep drive into left himself. But she tried to put an end to this, saying, guys, this has gone on too far enough. Like, we got to stop this. I'll even try and pull up her exact tweet real quickly. Credit to Tony for texting this to me. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. No, I'm kidding. Oh, f- Did you actually text this to me? Yes. God damn it. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> Editor Tom, don't take any of this out. Yeah, don't take any of it out. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know if I'm actually going to take it out or not. But, yeah, Tony actually texted this to me the day it happened. So, Jess Castellanos on Twitter says, PSA to all Nick Castellanos joke tweets. Something shitty happens every day in the world. Find a new joke. Now, I get that you want to, like, defend your husband and all that. It's not his fault that shit like that happens. It's just, 
internet history. It's going to go down in the Internet Hall of Fame, especially the Internet Baseball Hall of Fame. as one of the greatest things to ever happen on Twitter. And she wanted this to be put to an end. And you know what? Everybody on Twitter literally had a response to this that followed her tweet. And it goes along the lines of, I agree that this meme has gone on too far. It's gotten so annoying to the point where it's basically as there's a drive deep into left field by Castellanos, and that'll be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 <laughs> nothing ball game. Everybody was doing that, roasting the absolute fuck out of her. And you know what? Right now, just because I feel so bad for talking about it, I'd like to apologize to Jess Castellanos for um, bringing this <laughs> subject up because we know it hurts your heart and we pride ourselves as men of really good faith and that's a drive deep into left field that Castellanos home run for another ball game <laughs> boom baby that ain't going away anytime soon even if you're the wife of Nick Castellanos you can't put a stop to it it's going on you forever and ever the internet you can't quell the internet don't you know that by now not at all what the hell? Especially baseball Twitter. Yeah, come on now. Everybody's respectful <laughs> on the internet. Of course they're not. It's the fucking internet. Come on, Jess. <laughs> oh, yeah, babe, that's never going to come to an end. Unlike the show, which will actually come to an end right about hey, now. Which will come to an what end. transition? Right about now, Tony. I, I did the intro. I'll let you do the outro. Sounds good. So... Thank you all so much for listening. This has been Tony Puglisi, along with Tom Bauer, bringing you the pilot episode, the inaugural flight, the first trek towards greatness, probably, of the Diamond Duo podcast. Join us again next week, where we will discuss, again, the week that has passed, the week that will be to come, and the day that is about America's pastime. Feel free to join us then. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you taking the time out to tune in, and thank you. We will see you next time.